Do we want to get rocked? Yes, I do. I want to get rocked. Yeah, why not? Rock and roll music and the people who make it. Some of them are shitty. Some are legends. Well said. Thank you. According to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this Camaro summer song about a boy who does not want to do his chores, a boy inspired by Bart Simpson, according to an interview I heard on MTV when this song was out. Ooh. Uh, oh, good memory. Uh-huh. I, I, it was so lame that when I was a young boy, I remembered. Even, even I love those memories yeah. as a child where even if you're like 12 years old, you're like, that's fucking lame. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, yes. 2019 saw Def Leppard launch into the Hall of Fame. It's honestly not a bad choice. I support that choice strongly. Um, oh, wait, I missed my whole joke. So this song inspired by Bart Simpson is a stuff of legends, according to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that was my bit. It's a good job. But I had to, oh, it's so good to be back. I know, smooth <laughs> as ever. Uh 2019, it was a very strong class of entrance into the hall, if you ask me. And from the looks of the nominees, 2020 is not going to be that different. Yeah. But that depends on you, you feather brains who vote for who gets into the hall to make the right decisions. And that's why we crawled out of our very comfortable lives of not podcasting to bring you guys this hunk of advice in audio form. Today, we will provide for you the right and proper bands and artists that you must vote for to get into the Hall of Fame. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is Beyond Yacht Rock 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Voters Guide. Beyond Yacht Rock. This is Beyond Yacht Rock. Uh, back from the dead for one special episode for you people. Uh... My name is J.D. Riznar. I'm Hollywood Steve. I'm Dave. And Hunter hates the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and possibly even podcasting. Could be. Yeah, so he definitely no... hates the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think it's my fault. Yeah, what'd you do to him? I called him out one time. It's like we're doing that thing where you guys all pile on me and I could barely deflect. Uh -huh. but I enjoy it because controversy makes for entertainment. Uh -huh. And he said something about the cars and I said, listen, dipshit, I, I, I sat here and watched you stammer through your lines. Oh. And then he got real quiet and hated everything from there on out. And I feel comfortable talking about this because he'll never listen to it. Do you think... Also, if he does listen to it, he's one of my best friends and I miss him. Yeah. Uh, do you think... You ruined the entire Hall of Fame for him? I think some of us have a chip on our shoulder about the Hall of Fame in general. Yeah. yeah. And maybe I just uh, rubbed that bunion, so to speak. I see. All right. Is well, that, is this where I plug my stuff? No. All right. I, I enjoy the art of historical curation. Ah. That's, that's, uh, I've always, I've always, enjoyed, my dad's a history professor. Yeah, and I've what? seen, I've seen your dining room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wall to wall CDs, everybody. It's a library. It, welcome to the library. Right, it's, it's like the CDs at your library. <laughs> and, 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 and my library has fired its entire reshelving staff, so. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a tidy looking affair. You know, I don't even know who would send us that text that, Hollywood Steve has uh, suffocated under the weight of his CDs. Who's going to reach out to us? I, his, his mom? Maybe. She doesn't have my number. Yeah, it's true. We, we might just not have heard from him ever. Yeah, I've never gotten an email from anyone in Steve's family. Somebody will probably post it on Facebook, which none of us are really on that Yeah, somebody anymore. will post it on the Yacht Rock fan page, and none <laughs> of us will see it. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, well, speaking of Yacht Rock, we are the guys who created the term Yacht Rock. Yep, that sure was us. Are. Hey, how are you? So we like to throw a bone to a Yacht Rock song every episode, and... Uh, you know, I, c- I couldn't think of any Yacht Rockers in this year's batch of nominations. Sad, sad so state of affairs. I couldn't think of one. Not one. So we're going to go all the way back to the last and arguably only true essential Yachters who were inducted. Steely Dan. Steely Dan! There's a smooth, slow jam about a guy the singer does not like, which is why the song is called My Rival. And in such a competitive world as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this seemed like it's as appropriate as an anchor on the floor of the sea. It's a good fit. Mm-hmm. Good turn of phrase. Personnel note. The names are... Walter Becker. Yeah. Steely Dan. <laughs> yep. Donald Fagan. Steely Dan O'Hannigan. Dan, uh, Dan, Dan Fagan. We got uh, Patty Austin amongst the background vocsters, Jeff Picaro on drums, Rob Mouncey on piano, Tom Scott on sax, uh, and of course Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, yes, yeah. as Called Steely it. Dan. Called it. Uh, with special guest Valerie Simpson of Ashford Ooh. Simpson joining Patty Austin on those back vocals. She's one of the best, too. Oh, Steely Dan, he, they were good at pulling members from platinum selling groups to sing background vocals. They like to swing their dicks that way, that Steely Dan. Uh, I can't think of any other examples, though, of any other background singers from a superstar group that they pulled to. to I can't think it's, of any. It's weird, because with all the research we did, you think they would just, you know. But, I mean, honestly, I don't remember a lot of those Yacht and Yacht episodes at all. I don't remember doing them. Well, you were passed out drunk. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's what privatizes the Yacht Rock. I thought it was just dinner. No, oh, could have been. All right, that was the bone. Anything else either, to add? Either about? way, I uh, put my balls on your head. Uh, um, what? Anything what else about, about Gaucho? Uh, uh, my about rival from Gaucho? Gaut- Gaucho. 1979, um, 80s Gaucho. Anything else, guys? 81. Uh, that was one of the lesser-known tracks off of Gaucho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, good on you for for spotlighting it. Hey, we haven't yachtskied it yet. You know, someday we we may. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, let's talk about this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame stuff. All right. Now, how does this work? All right. Well, let me go over the format of the episode. Hold on. Oh, wait. Hold on. Let's, let me use a little magic wand. I'm going to turn Hollywood Steve into boilerplate Steve. Ready? Hello. So, let me go over the format of the episode. <laughs> it's the fourth time we've done this, so hopefully you all know the drill. But for all the brand new listeners we're sure to get here, let's make sure everyone understands why we didn't spend more time on your favorite. This year, there are 16 nominees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Each of the three of us has picked our personal favorite artist who's nearest and dearest to our hearts and definitely must be inducted, and we will cover each of them in depth. And by depth, we mean three songs. For the others, we'll give brief-ish yay or nay arguments so that you Hall of Fame voters who are definitely listening to us know exactly what to do on your ballots, and you fan voters will be inspired to stuff the ballot box. Fan voting lasts through Friday, January 10th. They postponed it this year, gave you about an extra month. And the uh, top five vote-getters will count as one of the, like, 800 ballots cast. Not all that significant until you consider that the number one fan vote-getter has been inducted every year so far, and since the final vote tallies are not released, nobody knows if this happens on purpose or not. I got a theory. What's your theory? I think in an effort to make people think that they have a voice, they actually put in one of those top five. It's kind of like when you read one of those 
lists of the top 500 albums of all time in Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. There's some obvious omissions and some obvious (laughs) fuck yous in there because it causes controversy. It gets people talking about it. This tricks people into thinking they have a voice. For instance, on American Idol, the top two people, usually the I've heard this. I don't watch the show. The second best one wins. The first one comes in second, and then they can get two careers out of it. The producers, I mean. Because they're oh. all so what, crooked. So what you're Lock saying, them up. What you're saying is that uh, in America, you get the illusion of democracy to make you participate, even though you're going to get screwed in the end. Steven, that is exactly what I'm saying. God bless America, greatest country on earth. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it American Idol, and not just Idol. Idol. Is it spelled I-D-L-E? <laughs> <laughs> Gold. Thank God we're back. Yeah. Steve... Uh, we've done this four times. How, we're we're how, getting pretty good at this. How do we yeah, do last how year? We, we did with our, pretty, with our we recommendations. Did last year. Uh, last year, JD's spotlight artist was Janet Jackson. She made it. No I'm in control. Uh, Hunter's spotlight artist was Todd Rundgren. He did not make it, but was also re-nominated. No uh, Dave's spotlight artist was Devo. They unfortunately did not make it and were not re-nominated. Shocked. I am shocked. As a huge mistake. And me, Steve, my spotlight artist was Roxy Music, and they surprisingly made it. I was stunned. Yeah, that was pleasantly a pretty, so. Yeah. That, was, that was great. It's real great. nice surprise. It's great when uh, when they can put a uh, like. Uh, it's, what, it's great when like a deserving like critical it, favorite that's maybe not the most famous artist in the world actually gets recognized. Right. It's the way it's the way I look at hall nominees. If if they're not real famous, yeah then I want them to be a huge influence, and that's Roxy Music. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I feel like on this year's list, there's a lot of finalies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. Yeah, like the when this list came out, there was there was something for all of us. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. a little something for everybody. There usually is. Mm-hmm. There usually is. Uh, there were two very, big, very hard decisions to make. Two big year. ones for me, and if I wasn't such a fan of one, I would have done the one that you're doing, J.D., but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um if uh, so, so I look for you know influence and, and actual fame for the Hall of Fame. What do you guys look for? Uh, anything change or the same stuff uh, as the always? Same stuff as uh, influence. Um, you look kind of for 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 landmarks like you know the one big classic album or the hits collection or like just some some essential must have in the, in the old. You know, back when people bought music, yeah, uh, something right. essential to have in the collection so, usually helps. Yeah, a lot. so like, so like, a, like not something esse- to point not to. essential in their their uh, discography necessarily, but like essential for everyone's collection. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. some some type of recorded legacy. Yeah, I uh, influence is a big one for me. What did they do to influence? what came after them how did they change the face of music and i'll tell you what's always nice is when you look at the body of work and you find like their standout album that could be a standalone greatest hits that's always nice to find i just oh, yeah. had this conversation with some people recently about what album by a band could you say is their greatest hits or could stand as a greatest hits album and i think a lot of these artists on our list tonight mm-hmm. have that album yeah that's true um anything else to add or should we get into this yeah, we should get into it because yeah, it's we really weird it. to talk when there isn't music playing. Yeah, um, no, let's let Jeff Selby take us into the show somehow. Beyond Yacht Rock, Beyond Yacht Rock, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right, thank you, thank you very much. Rock and Roll Beyond Yacht Rock, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rock. Hello, Cleveland. 
All right. First person on the Light, list. Lightning round number one. Lightning round one. We got Pat Benatar. I mean, this is her song, Hell is for Children. Does All Pat right. Benatar deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Let me, let me start this off by saying, finally. <laughs> That's a whole lot of finallys. Yeah. You know, Pat Benatar is married to her guitar player? Really? Yeah. Wow. I did not know That's that. Pr- that makes her even, even more badass. Hey, I'm going to marry you. You're going to work for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's, who's a guitar player? Uh, a dude. No, I don't know. Jim Benatar? Mr. Benatar. Yeah. He actually, she has, uh, she was born Patricia May Andrzejewski in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. She's a Polak oh, like you and me, like Dave. us. Wow. Yeah. And, she uh, would have loved our pierogi party. Her first husband's last name was Benatar. She got married right out of high school. Oh. And then she got divorced and she married this guitar player after right. she got a little But famous. Pat Benatar, that's a good name. That's a really good name. Yeah. Um, she's, uh, she's gone multi-platinum. She's gone platinum. She's gone gold. Uh, her hits are all badass. <laughs> you did that in the wrong order. I did. <laughs> I did. She's been multi-platinum. In addition, to get there, she had to go platinum. Well, I'm saying something. But to get there, I know. she started a gold. She's got albums that are just gold, though. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. That shouldn't happen. She's got multiple precious metals in her collection. Um, she might, You guys think that she is the hardest female pop star ever? Uh, take, take away the mantle of rock star. Mm-hmm. Okay, She's a pop star. What about Joan Jett? I'd say she's a rock star. Yeah. Also, Pat Benatar wrote her own songs. Ouch. Joan Jett wrote a couple of her own songs. It wasn't her specialty, though. Look at her greatest hits, and there's maybe two on there that she wrote or co-wrote. Yeah, but one of them is I Hate Myself for Loving You. Yeah, and that's a damn good song. She co-wrote with Desmond Child. Yeah. Um, I think she was a huge influence for wannabe rocker girls, I think. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you look at the generations and... Girls who are 11, when Pat Benatar is uh, scoring the hits looking like a badass on MTV. Yeah, they hear Hell is for Children. They're like, finally, a song about me. Yeah, they're picking up guitars and forming the sweet female grunge bands of the 90s. L7. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if L7 was uh, Pat Benatar fans, but seeing Pat Benatar certainly gives girls the confidence they need in a world with no female rock stars to finally say, there's me. It's a badass rock model. Yeah. I say she gets I, in. The one, the one strike against her, and I don't think it's a significant one, but she doesn't really have that one big shining masterpiece in her discography. It's true. It's true. She, but she has a lot of almost masterpieces. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's got solid, yeah, she's got a lot of solid records and she's, you know, stylistically, she kind of helps update um, like arena rock and album rock for the, the early 80s new wave era. She kind of brings in that that new that that flavor to it well i'll tell you Um, this much the legend of billy jean would have been a garbage movie without her it's true it kind of still is (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i say yeah yeah i think she's like i feel i feel i mean wait are you saying yearly smith as putter couldn't carry that movie (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't be outraged if she didn't get in this year, but I mean, she clearly has the legacy to deserve it. Yeah. I think the biggest strike against her for me is that she's not Kate Bush, and yeah. Kate Bush should have been in there 
a decade ago. Yeah, she's a different she's a different bird than than Kate Bush. Much I would say yeah. I would say Pat Benatar is more of a, an international icon, or at least more of an American icon than Kate Bush. Yeah, Kate Bush oh, is absolutely. a British icon, a pop icon. She's yeah. a, Pat Benatar is a pop icon. Kate Bush is like an indie icon. Well, here she is, and in England, she's much more like right, true. Like all her all her albums like go number one in England because they're like, oh, our resident genius, Kate. Yeah, build on one in Liverpool. Ours is in Cleveland, the greatest city in, uh, in uh, America. All right, lightning round. Dave Matthews Band is nominated this year. Fuck no. Get the uh, fuck out of here. This song is called The Best of What's Around, uh, and I'd say the Hall Nom Committee is literally making the best of what's around by putting these guys on the belt. Hey, we need we need to get some 90s bands in here, because th- then the kids will pay attention yeah, to the rock and roll Hall of Fame. All right, but before, before I said that Jimmy Buffett was the soundtrack to Date Rape, I reserved that distinction for the Dave Matthews Band. The yeah, most... The Jimmy Buffett... Jimmy Buffett is more for, like, drunken middle managers who are trying to take early retirement. This is a real date rape soundtrack. Yeah. You know what? Jimmy Buffett are Dave Matthews... Uh, Parrotheads are Dave Matthews Band's friends that have a retirement plan. The most interesting thing Dave Matthews Band ever did, and I know we've talked about this on the show before... Let's talk about it again. ...was when their bus driver emptied their tour bus's waste tank on a bunch of Chicago tourists on an architectural boat tour... Fuck them and anyone else who likes this music. You know what, Dave? That, that, that thing you just described sounds like an apt metaphor for what they sound like. Yeah, raining shit on tourists. I'll play the Davil's advocate here and uh, say they sold a lot of albums. A very popular band. That I mean, I, sure. sure. They, I would sure. even call them iconic. Yeah, you know what? Trump got elected. Dave Matthews Band uh, taught a a lot of uh, sheltered white kids that black people could play the violin too. Mm. <laughs> you know, wait, wait. I, what I I can name maybe three Dave Matthews Band songs. They're they're just they're just one of like everybody I knew in college who liked the Dave Matthews Band was like oh. Oh, oh, they're such good musicians. <laughs> like, they just go, they, they go to hear them, like, do that, you know, 90s jam band shit. And they were the least, they were the least hippie of those. Like, they were more acceptable for preppies and frat guys to go, like, because they weren't filthy hippies. That's why these guys get nominated before Beck is, is so, like, the... Or even Fish. The, boor, the boomers fish before these guys. The boomers who like uh, the Hall of Fame a lot, like the Rolling Stones and stuff, they are comfortable with the Dave Matthews Band. I, oh, I can wear my khakis to this show. Yeah. <laughs> nice pleats in the front. Oh, Without man. this band, there would be no Guster. And I can't think of a more rotten thing to say about anyone. <laughs> but t- I want to know this. I want to know this. What is the Dave Matthews Band's classic must-own recordings? The, they what? don't have a classic album. Did you do that? Bom, bom, uh, this yeah. album, the one with what would you say on it, right? No. Yeah, no, you're true. It's true. Nobody is like, yeah, they're not making any top 10 lists of the de- top no, 100 lists like of the decade. Top 500 albums of all time. No, they're not in yeah. there. Yeah. They're absolutely not in there. Unless you're from Charlottesville, North Carolina and rooting for your hometown band, and I'm referring to my friend Spencer when I say this, there is no fucking reason to listen to these people. I will say this. I tried one of Dave Matthews' wines from his Dreaming Tree Vineyard. Oh, it's how was it? Good. It's how really was it good. now? It's not, not bad. So, not so well, bad. Go in the better cele- than his music. Yeah. You should go in the celebr- Celebrity Vintner Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, with Maynard. Him and Maynard. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and uh, 
James Lynn Turner from Rainbow. Joe Lynn Turner from Rainbow. He oh, he's got own, a vineyard? He's got a wine line. Ooh. I tried to get it for uh, Tony Zarek for Christmas one year, but get this, sold out. <laughs> <laughs> no Hall of Fame for these guys. Just like JLT's uh, shows. By the way, those guys are leading the fan vote right now, so... Oh, Christ. Uh, Depeche Mode is their song, Personal Jesus. Yeah, why not? Third time they were nominated. I think yes, I'm on record previously saying yes. Yeah, yeah but you know, this is—is is Joy Division in? No, uh, I'd put Joy, in. Joy Division slash New Order needs to be in before Depeche, Depeche Mode. Mode. I yeah, yeah, I mean, they kind of they kind of started this whole like alternative rock, mopey mm. synth pop sound. Um, you know, they were kind of contemporaneous, but. You know, Joy Division had that history prior to New Order that, you know, they they, they, they did come first. I would but put them in before Depeche Mode, but they all belong. They, they, they belong in eventually. You can't put Joy Division slash New Order in. You have to put Joy Division or New Order in. You can't no, just no, no, you, cram you, them together, right? Well, the faces and the small faces got in as the small faces slash the faces. Oh. Well, that was more of a segue instead of being a completely separate band. What about the Jeffersons and the airplanes and the starships? The starships? They're probably not in. Are they in the hall? I don't know. Yeah. I bet airplane. Uh, starships playing at the Canyon Club in Santa Clarita in a few months. Who's not playing at the Candy Club in Santa Clarita in a few months? Me. Um, I think these guys are in, really influential. Like the '90s dark electronic metal, Night yeah. Snail, yeah. Tool, Marilyn Manson. Sure. I, I'm sure they owe a lot to these guys. Yeah. Uh, and Nine Inch Nails is also nominated this year, so the influence paid off. Also, The Cure got in last year, and for that whole like depressing British alt, like, yeah. early alt rock sound, sound if. If the cure is getting in, we need to get Depeche Mode. We need to get Joy Division, New Order. We need to get the Smiths. The Smiths. The Smiths is a bit. Smiths. Smiths is a big one. Yes. Uh, So influential, and I don't know if they've ever showed up on one of our lists of the hundred bands that should be in that we do at the end of these episodes. Probably, but probably not. I don't know. I don't remember. But they they deserve it. But yeah, the Smiths. The Smiths were so influential on British. like indie guitar pop. Yeah, and if you've ever been so to uh, a bar in a Mexican neighborhood in Los Angeles, they're influential, let yes. me tell you, boy, howdy. Yes. Uh, also, Depeche Mode, really famous. Yeah. Yeah. Really David, famous. David. I've they, heard of them. They had, a, they had a pop breakthrough, and they had top ten hits in America. Yeah, oh. show of hands, round the table, who's heard of Depeche Mode? We got every hand up. It's unanimous. 100%. Yep. All right, it's time to get into our first feature one. We're going to feature an artist End now. of lightning round one. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Lap Pump. <laughs> T-Rex. All right. With their first ever nomination, one of the most influential bands of all time is poised for induction this year. Getting them on the ballot at long last was the first step. Now we can put them into the light and see how they didn't just influence artists, they influence legends. I just want to point out that I said last year after after Def Leppard made it that this this year we're going to see T Rex nominated for the first time. Just want to pat myself on the back for calling it. You, will you please pat yourself on the back for real? Yeah, I was going to he call you out for not okay. actually. Uh, if you come over hands. here, I'll give you a couple pats too. Both All hands. right, or we can wait till the end. Thanks, of the guys. Broadcast. Appreciate it. T Rex right. is one of my favorite bands. Really I good. love this band. There's a great documentary right now on Hulu or Amazon Prime or one of those things I have. I recommend everybody checks it out. Yeah, it's T- about T Rex. 
well, yeah, you don't get called out in two iconic songs written by David Bowie and The Who without being something special. Oh, J.D., I researched the T-Rex shout out as a potential genre. Uh, You've also got R.E.M. and the Ramones. What R.E.M. song? Do you remember? I don't remember, but the R.E.M. So- uh, the Ramones song was Rock and Roll Radio. Oh, sweet. They call that John Lennon, T-Rex, and Nevada. Four, four legendary groups. Mm-hmm. And I Jeff think Leffert had to have done it in Rocket. I don't remember all the words. I don't think Rocket. there is. I, I They're definitely in the video for Rocket, but I don't know about the yeah, words. I looked this up, and I think I found six, and I really was trying to stretch it into more. Like maybe a random like song, kid song about a Tyrannosaurus Rex, <laughs> but there were too many for me to stretch it. Um, some bands are undeniably famous and need to get into the hall. This band needs to get in the hall to educate people. Yes. Because their sound and style are woven into the DNA of popular music, and sometimes in a museum, you need to get educated. Yes. Imagine that. Yes. Agree. Sorry to make such a crazy statement as a museum is for education. Personally, I've never bothered to get into T-Rex, but I, I knew that they I had to feature them because I feel like we spent every other Hall of Fame episode going, why are these guys not, not nominated, but T-Rex is not nominated? Uh, so and, we've educated you, is yes, what you're saying. Yes. And listening to them more than I ever have in preparation for this, I can tell you, these guys are bona fide great. Oh, so good. Yeah. Rock and roll boiled down to its core. Not a lot of technical wow in T-Rex songs, but I found comfort in their simplicity. A T-Rex song in the style of classic blues will find a very simple riff and a very simple line and repeat them ad nauseum, sticking with you like good propaganda. This less is more but inexplicably excellent and oddly sexy approach makes T-Rex the French omelet of rock and roll. Mm. Apt. Apt. Simple but delicious. I get it. Uh, it was Wake Up Bomb was the R.E.M. song. Oh, yeah. I love that song. Um, all right. Where was I? Did you miss a bit? Oh, yeah. Okay. So. You were talking right. about T-Rex. Yep. Listen to this song here. Cosmic Dancer. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of variety in the lyrics, but the song still takes you on an extraordinary philosophical journey into the fears of man and reincarnation. I just figured that myself. I don't know if that's true. I'm, I'm on board. I danced myself right out of the womb. I danced myself into the tomb. That's about it. But it sticks that with you. sums it all up right there. You heard it here first. And it asks a self-conscious question. Is it strange to dance so soon? It comes up... Uh, it comes up very neatly uh, a large part of the the band's appeal a t-rex is not one of the masses they're oddballs they are other they like to write silly hippie poetry but like dress up in fancy costumes to do it yeah uh, great. jd i think you get into this but some of the early years of t-rex uh it was mark bolin and like his like sitting down playing guitar with a bongo drummer also yeah. sitting on stage playing the bongos yeah and you still hear elements of that, like right there. I mean, that was actually a drum fill, but it's very simple music. It's, but simple songs need a flashy package to get people's attention. And in 1971, T-Rex's brain trust, Mark Bolin, appeared on UK's Top of the Pops, wearing head-to-toe satins and a touch of glitter under his eyes, and glam rock was born. Yep. Let me repeat that. The lead singer of this band wore something on TV and started an entire rock and roll movement that spanned continents and decades. That's influence. Yeah. In 1967, Mark Bowen put together a psychedelic rock group called Tyrannosaurus Rex. 
Tyrannosaurus Rex had some success with bloated songs about wizards and dragons and shit, but then Mark had a rift with his bandmate and kicked him to the curb. Free from that douchebag, Mark began distilling the sound into one simpler, cleaner, and electric guitar based. He also distilled the name Tyrannosaurus Rex into T-Rex. Yeah. And you know why? Yeah, there's a rumor that somebody wrote T-Rex on a tape. No. That's one story. Somebody in the, in the studio wrote T-Rex instead of Tyrannosaurus Rex on the, on the tape, and Mark Bowen saw that and said, I like that. Well, that may have happened, but the thought process behind it in Mark Bowen's head was the name Tyrannosaurus Rex would be really long on an album, uh-huh. but if you shortened it to T-Rex, you could make it a lot bigger. <laughs> and on a marquee. Yeah, and people would see I'm it. I'm sorry, who ran our les? You're Tyrannosaurus Rex. We don't have that many... Yeah, I lost it. <laughs> T-Rex started charting uh, a string of hits in the early 70s, and their success led to uh, that fateful Top of the Pops appearance. Um, possibly Get It On, Bang a Gong is their most popular hit, reaching the chart again when it was covered by the Power Station in 85. Yeah, that was their th- only hit in America, too. Yeah. Power- oh, oh. Uh, T-Rex uh, hit number on. nine, Power Station hit number eight. It's that extra power they gave. Yeah, yeah, I researched it for Undercover Glam, (laughs) and I thought, well, Power Station did one better. (laughs) Um, This song they were listening to now, Children of the Revolution, featured Elton John on background vocals, so you can start to see the glam family tree taking shape. While outrageous, you don't often lump Elton John into the glam rock category, as his reputation is dull, but he got there thanks to T-Rex. For context... Watch Elton John's uh, sort of unflashy performance, sort of unflashy and sentimentally singing your song on top of the pops in 1971. Uh, he's got some square sunglasses and some bedazzled flowers on his blazer, but you don't feel like he's breaking any new ground in fashion. Then look at his performance of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on the same show in 73 after T-Rex's appearance. And that performance uh, on the song this time, he's head to toe satin with bling encrusted sunglasses T-Rex's sex appeal and fashion influence gave this legend permission to be the legend he is. T-Rex saw peaks and valleys of success in the UK, leading to uh, a red-hot Wikipedia lines describing Mark Bowen's personal nadir thusly. No longer vegetarian, Bowen put on weight due to consumption of hamburgers and alcohol <laughs> and was ridiculed by his music peers. Yeah, he was. It was, was a big ridiculed deal. Ridiculed in the music press. He uh, ended up uh, losing, press, uh, yeah. losing a bunch of weight and got his own talk show for a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah. And there was uh, one episode where uh, he uh, did a duet with Bowie. And I don't remember the full story, but it was like cut short. Mm-hmm. And Bowie and Bolin were like, what the fuck? Why would you cut us off? <laughs> uh, hey, Bolin, how come you're so fat? I'm consuming hamburgers and alcohol a, a, a lot. At an astonishing pace. <laughs> Um, Can't believe I was missing out on these. (laughs) These burgers are delicious. Uh, Mark would die in a car accident before his 30th birthday, uh, just as his band was having a resurgence of creative success, but T-Rex would die with him. Man, imagine getting fat before you were 30. I know, and then (laughs) losing weight. Wow. He must have consumed a lot of hamburgers. Yeah, and and alcohol. alcohol. Uh, this song, I Love the Boogie, is off T-Rex's last album from 1977, and I picked it so you could hear how they still had it. Mm-hmm. Simple, laid bare rock and roll, inexplicably catchy, T-Rex stayed strong to the end. But after the end, their legacy only grew stronger. 
You can watch T-Rex's androgynous glam rock influence take shape in real time in the 70s, both underground and in the great wide open. David Bowie began, began adapting makeup, uh, the makeup-enhanced glam personas after T-Rex. And if you recall the sound of Cosmic Dancer that I played earlier, it's very Bowie-esque. Sounds a lot like 69 Space Odyssey. It's as if these geniuses were in an, uh, like an influence loop. Mm. Oddity. What did I say? Odyssey. Well, you're I, an, I followed. You're an Odyssey, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I sure am. Uh, David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust persona turned him into a superstar. Uh, the same flashy androgyny that helped Elton John's rise. In a very short time, by 1973, glam was hitting the, le- the legitimate stage in London with Rocky Horror Picture Show, while lesser-known acts like Mata Hoople, Slade, Sweet, and Wizard kept it alive in the dingier corners. Bigger acts like Queen, the Rolling Stones, and Rod Stewart would experiment with androgyny. And I, I don't need to tell you how huge Kiss was. Who? Uh, their band with makeup. Yeah. Are those the, the band of the little people that dress up like Kiss? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we I also, know them. We also had the New York Dolls, Iggy Pop, and Lou Reed. Oh, that's coming doing, up. Doing glam stuff. Now you skipped it. What? Oh, I did? Oh, thanks, Steve. I'm bad at reading. I'm, I'm reading a lot. Well, it's a good thing Steve's here. Uh, I'll hold up the pictures so the class can see them also. Oh, I put some pictures in here. Okay. Um, so, but mid late 70s, glam fashion was everywhere. Satins and sequins were the look of disco, the most mainstream music on the planet. Thanks, T Rex. But the influence didn't finish there, he was just getting warmed up. When the 80s hit, glam rock hit a whole new level with more studio polish and dudes who looked a lot better in makeup. Skid Row's guitarist named himself Rachel Bolin after Mark. Yeah, my best friend's dog. Named Bolin. Oh, yeah? Yes. Can I play the guitar like a motherfucker? No, I think he uh, chewed up a guitar and shit on a bedspread, yeah. but still pretty cool. I'm sure Rachel Bolin did that, too. Yeah. Uh, it was po- Motley Crue, Poison, all those. Uh, American glam. All, all those guys that shocked parents by looking like girls on their album covers. Actual girls like Hart and Joan Jett and Pat Benatar and Annie Lennox started looking uh, like dudes dressed as girls, too. But that wasn't all. Look at Prince. That yeah. dude's glam is shit. Yep. British. Glam slam, you Br- might say. That dude was yeah. cutting the ass out of his pants long before uh, today's pop stars were causing a stir. Yeah. Uh, Brit poppers, Adamant, Dead or Alive, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, all experimenting with those glam looks. All thanks to that one appearance of T-Rex with Mark Bolin and a little eye makeup and a shiny outfit. Now that's what I call Rock and Roll Hall of Fame caliber cultural power. Well done, JD. Thank you. They, you've convinced me they deserve in. Oh yeah, good, mm-hmm. good. And uh, T Rex does have those uh, those masterpiece albums in in, in their catalog. Yeah, the but Electric Warrior and the Slider are yeah. both just all timers. Yeah. Check them out. I'm looking forward to listening to a lot more uh, T Rex now. <laughs> it's the it's that simple the. Nah. Oh shit. Lightning round, round two. Uh, this is Judas Priest with the Ripper. Yeah. It's the second time nominated. Everybody knows I'm a big fuck yes on Judas Priest, and you can see my segment from Beyond the Outrock episode 80 from the first time they were nominated. Well, they can listen to it. Unless we give them access, unless we give them access to the Google Docs. 
Oh. This song is from their second album in 1976. Sad Wings of Destiny. Listen to how ahead of of its time this is. It's clear, crisp, heavy metal. Hair metal owes so much of this band, ironically fronted by a now bald man who flirted with me once. Yeah, I remember that. Uh Uh-huh. What did he say? You you make important. Yes. So I was... uh, Writing for Jack Black at the video game Spike Video Game Awards, and yeah. he was in that game Brutal Legend, mm-hmm. and did a whole thing. Uh, and Rob Helford's in the game, so I wrote a thing for Rob Helford, and they brought him out. And I met him. And he looked me up and down. I had a lanyard on, and I think I was wearing like a puffy vest. I know exactly what you were wearing. Yeah, it was the same outfit that you were wearing that day you approached. Mine and Westside Steve's table at the white. No, no, no! I was wearing a flannel that day. I looked like real. No, elbow. you you had a, a puffy jacket. Oh, probably with the elbows ripped out. Yeah, no. This is this was a puffy vest. I looked, oh, and like Rob, a CEO. Rob Helford looked me up and down and said, "Don't you look important?" No. Because <laughs> I was sitting at a table with Westside Steve, and he said, "Oh shit, this homeless guy is coming up to our table." Yeah, that's a totally different. Story. I was like, "No, that's my friend JD." That's a one where I looked regular, and then this was a story where I looked okay. <laughs> oh, you look you look great for a uh, sixty-five-year-old man. Thank you very much. Oh. I'll probably look the same when I'm sixty-five. That's the bonus of yeah. being so old, so young. Right. Michael McDonald knew it. Steve Martin knows it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, go uh, check out Beyond Yarrog, episode 80. Judas Priest. Yeah, they should yeah, be absolutely. in. Yeah. Absolutely. No, no question. This is The Breathers with Listen to Me Breathe. This is Kraftwerk's Tour de France. See, this is bikers. Uh, it's bikers working hard to win the Tour de France. As their six-time with nominated. lasers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shoot the other bikers with your lasers. Yeah, you thought you thought the cheating just went to blood doping with uh, with 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 cycling. It's, it's yeah, with it's all got one, one nut too. Uh, Hunter argued very well for this band in episode 45. Go check that that segment out. Uh, and I'd like to sarcastically say, no, the first significant electronica group should not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> not. <laughs> Psych. It was a Wayne's World bit. But yeah, I mean, they should obviously that movie. They should obviously be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And anybody who thinks they don't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is probably the same kind of person who doesn't think anybody who's not on a like a an iHeartRadio classic rock playlist should shouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame either. Mm-hmm. Also, I, think I said that right. This sounding music is is hot again. Yeah. All these DJs are making these albums of this this kind of like. This bleep bloop music. This bleep bloop music, yeah. It's, it, they're still relevant. Yeah. I, f- I feel like this is their year. I feel like yeah. this is their year. If Roxy me. Music can get in last year, maybe this is Croftvex's year. Yeah, I think so. Makes me feel like I'm in an elevator at a real fancy hotel. <laughs> that I'd have to explain they, to my parents. They should, Kraftwerk should really record a song about elevators yeah. because that's what they do with everything. They got songs about highways. They got songs about calculators, computers, uh, fucking more that I'm not remembering off the top of my head. But they should re- record a song called "Elevator." Do they have I a agree. song about the MC5? Because yeah, they're the guys, not. guys, we got to keep this moving. There's a song called "Gotta Keep Moving" <laughs> by MC5. They're fifth time nominated. Dave, and, uh, absolutely. I mean, they're responsible for so much that came after them. It they should have been in years ago. It's to me. It's one of those glaring oversights. 
but yeah. they were never famous, so they're not on a lot of people's radar. And they didn't, you know, they're always mentioned in tandem with the Stooges. The Stooges had Iggy Pop go on to a solo career that, you know, become yeah. something of an icon, whereas, you know, the, with the, when the MC5 broke up, that was about it for, you know, their, their major time in the spotlight. Uh, but we can we we can uh, we can all go listen to Dave's segment also in Beyond Yacht Rock episode forty five mm-hmm. about why the MC five deserved to be in. Yeah. Listen to how fun this song is. This is a fun band. I think it, I think that time's gonna come, um, but I don't think it's this year. Wayne Kramer has a um, an autobiography that is a really really worthwhile read. It goes into the the crazy politics they were involved in in Detroit in the sixties and the White Panthers. Uh, it's it's just fantastic. I was in Kalamazoo a few weeks ago and hanging out at a local record store talking to some dudes, and they told me about this old barn that I'd always known about, but what I didn't know was in the late 60s and early 70s, it was a music venue. And Bob Seger and MC5 and... Um, I said, a thousand shitty bands you've never heard of. Yeah, but I mean, like, like people from that area, people from Chicago or Detroit, you know, they, they come and perform there. Less than a half a mile from my childhood home, and I just knew, knew it as this creepy barn. Huh. And it had this incredible history. And my friend with the dog named Bolin, we went over there and kind of snooped around and looked in the windows until they told us to leave. It's a good afternoon. Ah, very good. Hey, I want to make a statement. I need help mm-hmm. to tell me if it's true or not. Not a lot of bands influenced by the MC5 are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, there's a lot of bands that were kind of indirectly influenced by them, but there aren't like a lot of bands that just like, I'm going to imitate the MC5 and sound exactly like the MC5. Yeah, I, I think would... once the Strokes are in and then bands like that start to get, the Strokes are going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of oh, Fame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Jack White. Yeah, once once that crew gets in, I think that's MC5's time for sure. Well, I think the Ramones and Sex Pistols were absolutely influenced by the MC5 directly. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Clash indirectly, Pearl Jam and Nirvana directly. Mm-hmm. Stooges were more contemporaries, but I'm sure they were influencing each other. Uh, and more and more of a roundabout way, Green Day sure. was probably influenced by them. Like, the most direct copy of the MC5 is probably Radio Birdman from Australia, and they're not going to be in the rock and roll. No, but uh, that, uh, what's that, Dano, Holiday, Bookham Dano, Murder One? Hawaii Five O. What do you think? No, it's yeah. the Radio Birdman I don't Birdman remember song. which song it is. Honestly. So good. I haven't listened to Radio Birdman in a long time. I haven't Man, even thought about Radio Birdman in a long time. all you've done for me. It's a great song. It's the first one on their uh, comp. Steve, you ready to make an argument? I'm ready to make an argument. You know, wait. Here's my argument. Rock and roll Hall of Fame. Rock and roll Hall of Fame. The review you had on Shark Sandwich, which was merely a two-word review, just said, "Shit Sandwich." Motorhead. You know, a lot of people think that David Bowie's death kickstarted that whole big terrible rock star rapture in 2016. But you know who's actually started it and happened just a couple weeks before Bowie? Oh, can I guess? Can I guess? Wait, sorry, Steve. I didn't realize you had an intro before the bumper. An intro. It's Motorhead, everyone. We're just yeah. going to have to listen to more Motorhead, yeah, I guess, okay. is what's going to happen. Uh, point of order. Lemmy died in 2015. That's Dece- right. December December, December 2015. Mm-hmm. Right. Every, everybody remembers all the rock stars who died in 2016, and everybody thinks, oh, David Bowie is the one who started that all Started off. dying in 2016. Lemmy died two weeks earlier than David Bowie, 
previous year. Won. Yes, previous year. Pre December December 2015 was just a couple weeks before Bowie. December 28th. Yep. Right at the end of the year. I remember I was in a Home Depot with my wife when Tony Zaret texted me. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I I was I was sitting at a table playing some card game with my family, and I saw it. And I t immediately texted the biggest Motorhead fan I knew. And she was already at the table, and your mom started crying. I probably looked at a smartphone, and then I went, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Because this, Lemmy is a man who rivaled Keith Richards and Ozzy Osbourne for sheer, how the fuck is he still alive? Yeah. Speak. And it wasn't even the substance abuse that got him, technically. <laughs> technically. He, he turned 70. A couple days later, he didn't feel well. He got diagnosed with aggressive prostate cancer. He died two days after that. But he was also suffering from brain cancer at the time. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Brain cancer, and I want to say... He, he had a couple things. He had, he had at least a couple things happen to him that he kind of kind of stepped back from, but yeah. you know, he was still going. Well, I saw him in September of that year, and I think I brought this up. Not only was he wearing white shoes after Labor Day, but it looked like he could barely stand. Yeah. It was really, really kind of sad. Well, that's why you don't wear white shoes after Labor Day. They get wobbly. Yeah. Yeah, you wear them out. Mm-hmm. Put them in the closet. Let them let them grow anew. Anyway, the point of that story is you live fast and you die fast. And you play fast because you're motorhead. So, as we all remember from our Immortal Moonshots episode back in the day, Lemmy started out playing bass in Hawkwind, a hippie space rock band that enjoyed taking acid, and eventually left to start a different band who preferred taking amphetamines. Yeah. He named it after the British slang term for people who like to take amphetamines. He also sang Hawkwind's biggest hit, the UK number three, Silver Machine. So Motorhead, their first album came out in 1977. It was fast enough for the punks. It was loud enough for the metalheads. It was dirty enough for both of them. But aside from writing the title track and putting an umlaut over the second O in Motorhead, they didn't quite have a handle on what they were doing yet. Overkill. The title track of their second album from 1979, yeah. what we're listening to right now, is where they figure out what they are doing. It's such a good song. Specifically, it's great. Later covered by Colin Hay. Yes, of Men at Work. Night. Anyway, uh, Motorhead figure out what they're doing on Overkill, specifically playing louder and faster than anyone else in punk or metal, while sounding like what my favorite metal critic Martin Popoff describes as a vacuum cleaner with drums. Although it's hard to use the word cleaner in any sort of relation to Motorhead. Lemmy, those are the basic, the basic components of the sound. Lemmy ran his bass through a distortion pedal and he played power chords on it like a regular guitar. Fast Eddie Clark played all these scuzzy sounding Chuck Berry licks on top because they are Motorhead and they play rock and roll. Which is what Lemmy says at the beginning of every concert. Yeah. And uh, Filthy Animal Taylor his first name is Phil, it's a clever pun. Filthy Animal Taylor pioneered the technique of using double bass drumming through entire songs on this track right here. Let's, this call, it a, let's call it a pun. A lot of people do that now. A lot of people do that. He was the first one to do it. This song right here was the first time anybody had ever done that. Anytime anybody had done double bass? Through the entire song. Whoa. Because I, I think uh, Simon Phillips had done it for Judas Priest on Dissident Aggressor the year before. I was just gonna say that, but uh, that was like that wasn't that wasn't the entire song. It was just kind of like for a while to make it make it real thundery. Uh, Man, that guy must have had some sweet calves. Oh yeah, 
Hey, this song is the true birth of speed metal, influenced the whole generation of thrashers to come. Nobody else was doing anything quite like this or sustaining it for this long, and I think it's probably because they weren't taking as many amphetamines as Motorhead. You ever done coke off a thrash metal drummer's uh, shin? No. How is it? Fantastic. Or the calves. Yeah. The calves and shins. It wasn't a calf, but almost. Almost. Yeah. It's flatter. on. It's easier to do on the shin. Yeah, it doesn't get in the pee hole. <laughs> All right. I've learned a lot here today. Oh, what's this song? Why, Dave, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. I've heard awesome music before. Not like this, you haven't. Rock and roll has long been associated with sex and drugs. But what if you skipped those and wrote instead about the two alternate twin pillars of badassness, gambling and death? Bob Seger only got half of the way there, and he still came up with one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever in Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. But it took the matchmaking genius of Lemmy to complete that wedding and achieve rock immortality, not to mention prove himself worthy of the real last name, Kill Mister. Yeah. Ace of Spades is Hall of Fame worthy in and of itself. It's one of those great, wonderful, shining moments that captures the whole goddamn spirit of rock and roll itself in less than three minutes, as a lot of those moments tend to do. This is the point of the fucking enterprise. This is what we're getting at right here. This is its purest essence distilled. We already sent Johnny B. Good into space on the golden record attached to the Voyager spacecraft. So let's blast this fucker off next while we still can, before climate change wipes out human civilization as we know it. They were Motorhead, and they played rock and roll. This song was so good that their next album, a live record called No Sleep Till Hammersmith, hit number one on the British charts, even though the sound quality was roughly that of someone gargling a malfunctioning septic tank. Nothing could top Ace of Spades, and after just one more album, the classic lineup splintered for good, so they definitely couldn't top it. Yeah, this is hard to beat. It's it's unbeatable. Yeah. I want to tell a Lemmy story. Please do. You know he always used to hang out at the Rainbow Room. Absolutely. And I ran so into I got him. to see him there. Yeah. There's a I'm statue so of him there now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd gone in there a couple times, and he was there every time I went in. He, he saw this, like, crate. Like, you, you would see this motorcycle outside, and you're like, wow. Either the devil or somebody from Motorhead's inside. <laughs> like really long and pointy and like spiky things where they didn't need to be spiky things for no reason other than it looked awesome. Right. But I said hi to him a couple times and he was friendly and you'd see other people going up and if people got too like talky, the bartender would shoo them away. Uh, but the night I went and saw Udo Dirk Schneider at the Whiskey, uh -huh. yeah, I went in to... Uh, I missed that show. That yeah, was good. It was a good show. We met him beforehand. Uh, it's nice to see. He looks like Patton Oswalt. It's hilarious. But um, yeah, I can see that. went into the rainbow, and it was pretty dead. And we went and sat at the bar, and I sat at the uh, the last stool in front of the touchscreen where it was Lemmy's seat. And I started talking to the bartender a little bit. And he was telling me about Lemmy and what a great guy he was and how he'd just sit there and play that touchscreen. That touchscreen machine, uh, the owner of the, the rainbow took it to Lemmy's deathbed so he could play it before he died. When they brought it back, they plugged it in and it never worked again. It, it died as well. Wow. And he told me that some nights when he's cleaning up at the end of the night, for no reason whatsoever, that touch machine would like fire up all of a sudden. And then I cracked a really large fart, audible, 
and said, wow, I think his ghost is here right now. Somebody dig up the other time on the podcast Dave told that story. And, Did I? Uh, let's uh, see how well they match. <laughs> Did I tell that before? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Well, I know it. I've heard it. I don't know. I think on the podcast. Did you you give a little more theatrical podcasting, and I seem to remember yeah. a theatrical tell of that story. Did I ever bring up my wedding? <laughs> what, what were your invitations like? Eh, memorable. <laughs> All right. All right, so we could pick any number of great Motorhead songs for song number three. Most of them would sound basically the same. In other words, awesome. Uh, Killed by death would have gone great here, and it would have fit my MO to a T because then I would have... Well, we've already heard how Lemmy died. But instead, I picked 2004's In the Name of Tragedy because of what happened after the Hall of Fame announcement. So at first, the only three members of Motorhead nominated for induction were the core three from the glory days of 1977 to 82. But after an outcry from fans and Latter-day members alike, that list was expanded to include the two guys who stuck with Lemmy long enough to turn Motorhead into an institution, Phil Campbell on guitar and ex-King Diamond drummer Mickey D. Filthy Phil Campbell. Phil, filthy Phil, Phil Campbell joined in 1984 along with second guitarist Wurzel who's not included despite being in for 11 years. And Mickey D joined in 1992. Both of them stayed in right up to the end and they played a huge role in maintaining Motorhead's living legend status by keeping the band out on the road and going back into the studio. Yeah, do you know Motorhead used to be a four-piece for yeah. like 11 years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, I'm not to, an idiot. They used to have four members. Yeah. Then they went down to three. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the parallels are, but you know. No, well they used to have two bass players. Uh, how about That's when, not true. when Nirvana brought in Pat Smear? They probably would have kicked him to the curb after a while if they were around long enough. Yeah, probably. Well, they I don't know, because their guitar playing, their songs started getting more elaborate, and they needed someone else because Kurt couldn't sing and play two guitar parts at once. Plus, Yet Pat, they're in the Hall of Fame. Ugh. Yeah. guess it's not the Hall no. of Skill. No. I can't think of any other groups that used to have four members and now have three. Anyway, moving on. Uh, so let's run down a little of what happened uh, in, in REM. Of... Continue. Uh, so Phil and Wurzel's first album with the band was 1986's Orgasmatron, which had some weird sludgy production from Bill Laswell. Filthy Animal Taylor came back for a few albums, including 1991's well-received 1916, which brought them back for the prime of the MTV era, got them a few videos on Headbangers Ball. Lemmy then wrote a few songs with Ozzy that were used on No More Tears and made the mistake of trying to sing himself on the next Motorhead album, March or Die, which ended up getting them dropped from their short-lived major label deal. Grunge was ascendant, and that could have been the end, but they just kept recording for smaller indie labels, starting with 1993's Bastards, which was hailed as a return to form by the few people who were able to hear it at the time because it was released by a tiny German label. Uh, Motorhead just kept on touring and recording mostly decent albums through the 90s and the 2000s, all of which had at least a few solid to great songs, depending on how much time they bothered to spend writing before they hit the studio. So that finally brings us to this record, 2004's Inferno, which seems to rival Bastards as a consensus fan pick for their best album of these, uh, let's call them legacy years. Now, if you're Motorhead and you're touring, you're I mostly going to, uh, obviously... Clearly, 
I, I've seen. No, I'm kidding. I've this seen, is just a cocoa puff taking my face. I've seen the scooter you ride. You're mm. clearly in Motorhead. Yep. So if you're touring, you're mostly going to play the old stuff. Maybe cycle in a few lost gems along with a couple bits off of whatever the new record yeah, is. Yeah, maybe you play that song you wrote for the Ramones. R A M O N E S Ramones. Yeah, that was on 1991's 1916. Yeah, they had, they had a very short video for wow, it. Wow, you sounded uh, like uh, Damien in uh, the Omen spouting off dates there. Remember that scene? Nope. That's what you sound like. Oh, fantastic. I'm infected by the spirit of Motorhead. Uh, So all these songs and all these new albums that came out every few years, did any of those songs actually stick in the live set lists? According to the website, setlist.fm, great set, great, tries to compile every set list from every gig, the top song from their legacy era and their 14th most played song is this one, In the Name of Tragedy. The top 13 are all from 1991 or before. Wait, this website has every set list from every concert ever performed? They're trying to. You can look up any concert you've been to, and I'm assuming... I've been to about five. Okay, so yeah, and then they're all Christopher Cross. So you can look up the set list for any one of those. Oh, wow. It's fantastic. Like, I looked up the Jawbreaker set list from Club Soda in 1992. Awesome. Like, small venues. Uh, I went and saw the Pixies at the Troubadour uh, last week. And it was a great fucking show, but I didn't know what they were doing, and I haven't heard their two new albums. Mm-hmm. And they were playing a lot of songs I didn't know, so my wife pulled up the old setlist FM, and I could see pretty much what they were going to play. Wonderful. It was great. And you kind of know, like, like, oh shit, I need to pee. Yeah. What's what's are they gonna are they gonna be like two, three, four songs in a row that like I don't know or care about? Yeah, and if then they, they're gonna play something awesome after that, I better go pee now. Yeah, if they had that when I went to see Dio when he played the entire Magica album, I could have gone and gotten some White Castle, enjoyed it in the parking lot, come back and seen some songs I wanted to hear. But then you wouldn't have that story. Yeah. yeah you probably would have spent the second half in the bathroom yeah. <laughs> bring out your white castle yeah. hamburgers. Man. I visited Mike Vanderbilt in Chicago a few weeks ago. We went to White Castle. It's fantastic. So good. Oh, man, did I destroy that toilet. I also found on that that website that another song from Inferno, the acoustic closing track Whorehouse Blues, also makes the Motorhead concert top 20 if you don't count guitar solo as a song. Hmm. Which yeah. I don't. Oh, oh, it's a setless joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it literally says guitar solo yeah, yeah. on on, on the, uh, the set list uh, compilation. So in closing, for Motorhead, I just want to say that Lemmy was in this band. And also, that when we think of heavy metal versus hard rock, we tend to draw that line where the roll part of rock and roll has been stripped out because of white guys who can't swing and hate dancing. By the way, anybody bitching about who doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame usually doesn't remember the role in the name either. Anyway. You know that's you know that's Keith Richards' big thing. That's a quote of his. He's that's like, whose? Keith Richards. Oh, okay. he, he wasn't in Hawkwind. Uh, he's like, most people like the rock. I like the role. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And Motorhead was that rare band who seamlessly fit the requirements for hard rock and heavy metal and we're undeniably simultaneously both without question. It's too bad that, as with so many others, they waited too long for the artists to live to see it happen, which is only going to get worse the longer they wait to let all these deserving folks in. Yep. But at least if they do get in, 
Phil Campbell and uh, 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 Mickey D will be able to to show up and enjoy. Now another one of them of their legacy. Didn't, didn't Phil die? Uh, filthy Animal Taylor died, but Phil yeah. Campbell's still alive. The filthy one died. Yes. Got it. And Fast Eddie Clark also died. The the whole original yeah. lineup. Well, not the original. Technically, the Glory Years lineup. Uh, mm. All three of those guys are gone. But new Phil. New Phil and Mickey D are still the around. Philanthropist. Yes. Philanthropist Campbell. Yeah. Good arguments all around, Steve. Sounds like you want this band in the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. I very much do. Jake. I agree with what JD has said. Lightning round three. You guys recognize this song? Is this, this is Billy Ray Cyrus. Wait, listen, listen. Hold on, listen, listen. Stand listen. by me. That's right. Lil Nas X is nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as soon as he was out of the womb 20, 25 years ago. No, just kidding. This is the Nine Inch Nails song that they sampled in Old Town Road. The song's called 34 Ghosts 4. But 4 is IV, yeah. Roman numerals, and 34 is regular numbers. It's like the track number. There's an know, artsy album called like Ghosts. You know, that's where they get the term Ivy League? Because there were four-year colleges, and they were uh, spelled Roman numeral. I did IV. not know that. Oh, they started that? calling it the Ivy League. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So fuck you. This is the third time Nine Inch Nails are nominated. Um, a lot of artists have been sampled. That's true. Wow. That is a true statement of That's, fact. Uh, I don't so know, man. That's the fact that this you song You try to eject some controversy in this podcast? This is the fact that this song was sampled does not qualify Nine Inch Nails for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, it feels like they need to be in someday, but this year doesn't seem like the year for them. I'll I wouldn't be upset I don't if they know. Were I mean, with Old Town Road, it might be the year for them. I'll Trent, tell you, Trent I'll tell you Reznor what. co-wrote a number one pop hit and the, the longest running number one single of all time. Uh, by accident. By accident. Trent Reznor co-wrote that. It's an amazing sample of those of you out in the internet world haven't heard it. Basically, some DJ took this song and put a trap beat to it. Uh, or some beat. I think it was a trap beat. I don't yeah. know anything. Okay. And then... Uh, Lil Nas X was like, I want to rap. I want to do make a rap song, and he found that. Yeah, he just bought it off an internet yeah, site. Played like paid the cheap license. Hey, dude, I want to buy your beat. Yeah, bought a guy's beat, rapped over it, made the biggest hit of all time, kind of. Wait, he made White Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now they just gave Trent Reznor a, like a country music award. Yeah, it was like Event of the Year, I think, was yeah. the award that they yeah. won. He was, was, just, was that the butt. that was the one that they tried to kick off the charts when and then they found out the guy was gay or something? No, no, no. They tried. They he, he it made the country charts because he had hashtagged it country on a bunch of like music streaming sites, <laughs> and then they listened to it and thought, "This ain't no country. This is a little old rap song." <laughs> and they kicked it off the country charts, and then people were like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait a minute!" He, like they milked the publicity. To, you know, to make a controversy about that. And then everybody started listening to that song. Like, you know, the big debate. You know, it was, it was like, what color is this dress? Yeah. It was like that kind of debate. Like, is this a country song or not? And so, like, the more people heard it, they're like, yeah, this is kind of catchy. I don't really care what it is. And, uh, and then Lil Nas X is like, I'm going to, well, people don't think this is a country song. Fuck it. I'm going to do a remix where I get Billy Ray Cyrus to sing it like it's a country song and then it sounded much more like a country song and then it spent like 19 weeks on top of the charts and set a bunch of records yeah 
A lot of stories about Old Town Road. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Nine Inch Nails. So Nine Inch Nails. Should Nine Inch Nails be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I say yes, absolutely. And the reason is, I, not just they were one of the big like breakout star acts of the alternative rock era that, you know, they weren't like some shitty post-grunge band. They came up from the underground, you know, hit it big. Um, he spent a lot, Trent Reznor spent a lot of time like making follow-ups to the Downward Spiral and kind of lost his career momentum, but he's done a lot of pretty good albums since then that I haven't really caught up on. But like he's got, he's got a long, you know, well, he's, long, Steve, he's got a long me, period of productivity. Let me let me interrupt you for a moment. All right. Was it as Nine Inch Nails or was it as Trent Reznor? No, it was as Nine Inch Nails. Okay. But Trent Reznor is Nine Inch Nails. I understand. Regardless that. of who's in the band, Trent Reznor is Nine Inch Nails. Right. Like at like one Mark point, Mark Bolin is T Rex. Right. At one point, their touring guitarist was the brother of Terminator Two. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, wrap your head around that Very one. Cool. Um, it just—it's very intriguing to me, and I'll you know like one guy's in multiple like Joy Division New Order. It's like. You know, it's the same dudes, just missing a guy. A very important guy. Right. But missing And they him. completely changed their sound after he yeah. was gone. But, I'm, you know, Trent Reznor went on to... Did he win the Oscar for Social Network? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah, probably. Yeah, why not? Does a lot of things. Makes a lot of music. Yeah. I like Steve's criteria of... Uh, they got to have one iconic album you got to have in your collection. I feel like Nine Inch Nails has at least two. Yeah, I would say Pretty Hate Machine is yeah. kind of... You know, got under, underrated in compared my first to the downward spiral. Accident, but the day I bought Pretty Hate Machine. Also bought Urge Overkill. Good, good day for good, good records. Good day for music. Bad, <laughs> bad, bad day for my mom's rack and pinion. <laughs> bad day for your mom's pretty driving machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so yeah, they've got they've got the masterpiece albums, and I would say too, like. What other band with industrial roots is going to make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Are there any other industrial bands that you could see getting getting even nominated? No. no I mean, the only one ministry I can think of is possibly Ministry. Wouldn't, wouldn't get nominated. These are the guys that jumped out and made them made they represented their genre mm. and yep. represented it well. And without Nine Inch Nails, we probably wouldn't have P.O.D. <laughs> also, one, one last point. Uh... You, you, we all remember how grunge supposedly killed hair metal. <laughs> I love that grunge, argument so much. Grunge did not kill Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Guns N' Roses were still going pretty strong on use, on the Use Your Illusions after after mm-hmm. grunge had hit. What killed Guns N' Roses was that Axl Rose lost his his his, his mind trying to imitate Trent Reznor. Like that was what took. All that time to do the follow-up. Yeah, you listen to Chinese Democracy. Uh, he was it's very to be electronic. Trent Reznor, yeah. And he yeah. he just went nuts. He he had, he had couldn't he had, get it right. Had to keep working no, on it. Yeah, his couldn't his perfectionist uh, obsession with sounding like Trent Reznor resulted eventually resulted in Chinese Democracy. But that was what killed Guns N' Roses was Trent Reznor. Yeah. Moving on, Notorious Big B.I.G. Notorious Big. Notorious Big. <laughs> All right, Grandpa. Uh, <laughs> this song is called Juicy. This is the first year he's nominated, first year eligible. Apparently, the Hall of Fame thinks very highly of this young man. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't know enough about Notorious B.I.G. to really have an opinion, but people are still talking about him years after his death. Mm-hmm. 
And I do wonder if part of his draw is the fact that he died? No. Since he only had two studio albums before his death, but then again, Nirvana only had three. Yeah. NWA only had one good one. Sex Pistols only had one album. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you can have a real short career and have a real Jackal, big legacy. Not a lot of studio albums compared to how many greatest hits. That's the greatest hits comp. A lot of comps, yeah. I was reading about these ding dongs, these East Coasters rappers recently. Yeah, there's been a lot of this in the news lately. Yeah. I don't know if it's an anniversary or maybe it's because Notorious B.I.G. got nominated. Notorious, him and Puffy Daddy, mm-hmm. they're responsible for turning uh, hip hop into fun time club music. Mm-hmm. That's kind of their sound. It's not a small task. It's a very important development of the rap world, especially where uh, hip-hop has gone since. Where uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, they were on the West Coast rapping about shooting people with their gats. Biggie was on the East Coast incorporating universally recognizable hooky samples that had crossover appeal and actually getting shot by gats. Yep. He, but he did get shot in L.A. Oh. Yeah, yeah, outside the Peterson Automotive Museum. He should have stayed out of our territory. Yep. He was also a great songwriter, and he had way more fun with his rhymes than the West Coasters did. Let's say get this guy in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you got, you, Tupac's already in the Hall of Fame. You can't have Tupac in the Hall of Fame and not Biggie. Yeah, you got to balance that East Coast, West Coast out. Yeah, yeah. Might, if you don't, there might be a, a kerfuffle. Is uh, Wu-Tang Clan is in the Hall of Fame? Yet, are they? Not yet. They haven't been nominated yet. They, I think they were They're eligible. Only, they were only eligible recently because their first album, I believe, was 93. Um, did L Cool J get in last year? No, he did not. Okay, he did he not. should have. So every LL year they're going to should have gotten in. I think they gave up on LL Cool J and like Biggie's first year nominated. Let's get him. Okay. Uh, but Wu Tang absolutely yeah. belongs in. Fun fact about ODB: We share a birthday. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. Same thing with uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. You got some good birthday celebrities. I've got like Scott Bayo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this old dog, Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Every year we've done it, Shaka yeah. Khan's in, nominated in some form or another. Uh, Four-time nominated, two for Shaka Khan as a solo artist. So that's six total for Shaka Khan? Six, yeah. Six total. Yeah, we, we got a letter from a fan that really resonated with me when we kind of wrote off Shaka Khan, like the first time we did it. It wasn't really that we wrote her off. We just we were like, just completely uh, ignorant. Yeah. yeah. We didn't know her catalog very yeah. well. Well, the lady that wrote it made me realize I had a pretty big Shaka Khan blind spot. And her career spanned four decades. And when you start thinking about artists that have been putting out material for four decades or are still going after four decades yeah. there's not a lot of people you can say that about yeah i mean rush yeah sure they did but but who i'd cares? rather i'd rather listen to shaka khan so I've, I say, I've been listening to a lot of shaka khan recently i, say I, bring her picked, in. Up, I picked up the great the greatest hits because like, i finally got to delve into this uh is that why you've been so horny among other reasons. Mm. I mean, it, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's got I, jeans that brush against his dick when he walks now. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, he started wearing the jeans inside out, so the rough side was in, <laughs> and it wore off the calluses. Oh, yeah. You got to get the friction going there. It's just, you know, not, not too much, just enough. Get rid of the old dick callus. Uh, it's principal's name. Never I remember the second the second year that we did this, we we tried to we try I think we tried to bone through a Shaka Khan to make up for our flubbing of the first round. Yeah, we fucking beefed that and, too. Uh, yeah, it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we I think we picked through the fire, which 
is definitely a yacht rock song. But it's not her only yacht rock song. She's got a few. She's got a, a at least a handful in there. Uh, she covered uh, uh, "What You Gonna Do for Me" by mm-hmm. co-written by Ned Doheny and the guy from Average White Band. That's a solid yacht rocker. Uh, she covered Carol Bayer Seegers, "Stronger Than Before," oh, which is her. on the boat. Um, yeah, those are two, those are two that immediately leaped to mind. That was oh, she did those. Great, they're great. they're really good. All right, yeah, they clearly want her in. Just put yeah, her in. Let's get her. to some important shit here. Okay. Rock and roll hall of fame. Rock and roll hall of fame. We are such fans of your music and all of your records. Right. I'm not speaking of yours personally, but the whole genre of the rock and roll and some of the exciting things that are happening in music today. Thin Lizzy. And I don't want to talk. I just want to listen to this song. Okay, let's do that. Right. Has it been ten seconds yet? He it's rhymed. He wrote. He rhymed it light with with night. night what yeah. a what a poet. Yeah, he knows it. God, it's so simple. Then it gets so complex. This bass line that comes up and then he keeps playing it through the whole thing and he sings at the same time. You know the one I'm talking about. We've heard this on the podcast before. Here it is. That's beautiful. All right. Thin Lizzy. This is not a super popular choice because a lot of people don't know a lot of their songs. I mean, really the only ones that ever got played on the radio are the boys are back in town and one we'll hear in a little bit. And at first appearance, people don't really know what this band is all about. Uh, in fact, I saw a live television performance where uh, frontman Phil Linnett says, now we're going to play a medley of our hit. Tears into the boys are back in town. I mean, he knew it too. But Thin Lizzy is something special, and will come to no surprise to anyone that's listened to our podcast that I love Thin Lizzy. This song was both number two and number one in my European Cowboy episode, and for good reason. I put songs I like in my countdowns. Uh, this, to me, I, I really do believe this is the coolest song ever written. It's my hands down my favorite song. Uh, it's been said that the song, oh, I screwed this up. The song turns the commonplace into legend and brings myth into the modern world. Mm. Thank God somebody finally did it. Yeah. That must be why it's so cool. Yeah. I would paint this on the side of my van. All right, Thin Lizzy started in Ireland in 1969 when du- two dudes named Eric, who were former members of Van Morrison's Them, reached out to Phil and Brian Downey. They started playing together, released the first album in 1970. They pressed 500 copies of their single and sold 238 of them. Hotcakes. Uh, yeah, I was uh, reading a story today where some dude that was close to the band was like, yeah, they came in boxes of 25, and I had like five boxes of 25 in my closet. And then I went home, and my mom said, hey, we cleared all that shit out of your closet. Like, those original records got to be worth thousands of dollars. Oh, each. yeah. Uh, like my, my mom threw out all my Star Wars toys. Um, so they went through some lineup changes. They were doing well enough to make a living in Ireland, but not really anything outside of Ireland. Uh, but then they were invited to support Slade on a bigger tour, and Decca released a cover of their Whiskey in the Jar cover to coincide with that tour. And kind of like Richie Valens reworked the traditional song La Bamba, like from his his origin music, like their yeah. bunch of Irish, they were Irish folk song. Um, 
And they kind of kicked it in the ass, and it's where they started to get on the map. Uh, Metallica would go on to shit all over that song years later by doing a milk toast version of it. I'm sure you're all familiar. Oh, well, I, no, I'm not. No whiskey in the jar, Metallica. Whiskey in the jar. I just, I've never heard it. Now. That's. I try you, not to listen to most Metallica after about 1991. See, 87 was sort of the cutoff for me. Like I think I, mean, I don't no, wait, 89. I don't need to hear any of the songs off the Black album again. No, the Black album's fucking garbage. People love it. But, uh, and Justice was the last. Uh, wait, this is a time conversation for another time. We're right. talking about Thin Lizzy. God damn it. Uh, was it Phil, Phil Linnett was in the band for that for that whiskey in the jar, right? He joined by that point. Okay Phil Linnett, yeah, joined Thin Lizzy. Just let me go. He fucking started Thin Lizzy. You said dudes named Eric. Two dudes named Eric approached Phil Linnett and uh, what's his name, Brian Downey. Oh, I'm sorry, I read that as Phil and the brothers Phil Downey and Brian Downey. I'm sorry. Oh, I fucked. I, my brain fucked up. That's all right. When Please you know continue. when you know the band as well as me, you refer to him as Phil. Right, you're on a first name basis. Like those guys in Motorhead. Right, Lenny. that's where it's coming from. You thought there were a couple dudes named Phil. Yes. All right. Well, it wasn't until 1975 when they solidified their uh, their popular lineup, or what did you call it? Their uh, Golden Years lineup. Yeah, the Golden. Yeah. The Golden Years lineup with uh, Brian Robo Robertson from Glasgow and California and Scott Gorham. That began the dawn of a new era for Thin Lizzy. I got a fun fact about Brian Robo Robertson. Yeah. He was a member of Motorhead for one album. No shit. 1983's Another Perfect Day. It was the first one without Fast Eddie Clark. Never messed up with that Robo guy. Nope. I'm assuming he's not the same Robo from Black Flag. No. And the current version of The Misfits. No. Different row. One. That's a robo with one B. You're right. That's how you can tell when you hear it. Yep. All right. This. Uh, this. Well, this is actually a little later, but uh, 75 is the era we're in. 76. That's where they define their sound. In 1975, they released the album Fighting. It was here where the new guitarists began experimenting with the guitar harmonies or guitar harmonies. Thank you. If you feel the need to make a portmanteau out of everything. A few. I mean, I'm a fan. I know. I like to portmanteau everything. Jesus Christ. A few bands have experimented with this harmony uh, thing in the past. Uh, Wishbone Ash, the Allman Brothers. But it was really more of a like a folky kind of thing. You can point to Eddie Cochran. You know, rock and rockabilly. Rockabilly? But, yeah. That's another portmanteau. I love it. Yeah, I knew it. I knew you would. Uh, but it was... It's a very, you know, a technical guitar thing where you're playing what I think it's a third higher than uh, the other guitar part. And usually, yeah. Yeah, third, fifth, seventh, or ninth. Yeah, har- yeah usually third. that way. Yeah. yeah, if you're going to get into harmonies. But Thin Lizzy was the first uh, time anyone brought it to hard rock, and this is the first time it was done so well. And, I mean, it's everywhere now. Metallica, Slayer, David Lee Roth, Shy Boy, where Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan let it fucking rip. Iron Maiden, Elvinoto, Judas Priest, Rat, they owe all a debt of thanks to Thin Lizzy. And basically what I'm saying is that Thin Lizzy laid the groundwork for the modern hard rock guitar solo. And before zeroing in on these signature sounds, they were known for being a little more on the folky side, as I said. Modernizing the folk song Whiskey in the Jar didn't help them with that uh, label. Linnett always wanted to be presented as, and I'm quoting him, mystical Celtic meets hard-hitting rock. They had the Mystic Celtic down, but their new sound combined with Linnet's badass bass. <laughs> that, uh, 
mystical Celtic would have a pretty big goose egg <laughs> if he met a hard-hitting rock. You know? <laughs> That's how, that's, Celtic. that's how they that's how they sacrifice the Celtics at Stonehenge. The hard hitting rock. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that's uh, what the song Wild is about. Thin Lizzy's song Wild. Sorry, that's, that's what the spinal tap song Stonehenge is about. Uh, the song uh, Stonehenge by Spinal Tap is about two minutes too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Oh my gosh! Man, we have fun. Don't We're we? earning you our uncle. You can't print that. We're earning Don't our uncle badge that. tonight. Don't we have fun? Right. Man. Oh, okay, back to the portmanteaus. Uh, where were we? Uh, the, the mystical Celtic got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had, had the mystic sound down, but their uh, new sound, combined with Lynette's badass bass, solid lyrics, and tough as shit voice, Thin Lizzy was about to become world famous. This is obviously the other well-known song, but man, does it fucking rip. This is tough as shit. This is Born to be Wild if Born to be Wild was cool. Imagine putting uh, sunglasses on a baby and recording it to this. Oh, yeah. That'd be fucking badass. Imagine the kid from Problem Child driving around in a go-kart to this. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Man. Are you trying to ruin your favorite band's songs? <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing callbacks. Are you listening to out there music supervisors? You guys want to ruin Dave's favorite song? Don't you Second dare. favorite song? Perhaps a granny puts Ooh, on a leather a jacket. Rockin granny. Yeah, yeah. Cause she's going out on the, she's going out on the town. Yeah. She's gonna break out of a jail. Uh, this super simple riff just fucking drives it. Normally their bass lines are a little more complex. Uh, this is uh, the bass and uh, the rhythm guitar doing that part while the lead's kind of walking all over the place. They get into the guitar minis later. You get it. This is 1976, and this was their this was their uh, seminal record. This is their greatest hit. This is the record that could have stand stood as their greatest hits album. It was Jailbreak. It had this song. It had Boys Are Back in Town. It had Cowboy Song. This is when they opened for Queen. Imagine that fucking show. Would have been a good show. Yeah. It's been a real good rock show. 1976 Queen. Uh, who's like? Remember we went to see Judas Priest and we were pre- pleasantly surprised to see Saxon open. Yeah. Steve, this is even better. Yeah. I think I would have enjoyed that show if they had seats, if you could sit down and watch the show. Uh, the Queen show. Yeah, because I, w- I when I the Judas Priest show, we had seats. We had nice seats. Yeah, when I stand too we long. We had real nice seats. Oh yeah, we not did. as good as our Deep Purple seats. Nope. Man, so much has happened since we last podcasted. Yeah, we and went and saw Deep Purple. And I and and when I went to see Toto, we were one row better than Deep Purple. We were wow in the front. Wow. Yeah, I only sprung for second row seats. Sorry, Steve. Fucking asshole. Yeah, we got lucky. Yeah. I think I mentioned in another episode that I learned about Thin Lizzy from a live Guns N' Roses performance in Paradise City in 1988. Axel was wearing a Thin Lizzy shirt, and it really made me pay attention. I included a photograph, a screen grab from that video for everybody here in the room. For you, oh, those yeah, of you yeah. at home, you can look up 1988's Guns N' Roses Paradise City live at the Roxy. That's the guy who lost his mind trying to sound like Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, but you know where he got it from? Phil Linnett. Axel once said, Thin Lizzy saved my life in reference to how much the band meant to and influenced him. 
Axel even has a Thin Lizzy tattoo uh, of the uh, Black Rose album cover that he said he regrets that he never got to show Lynette. Without Thin Lizzy, there would be no Guns N' Roses in the way that we know them. It'd be funny if he met Phil in it. And Phil in it wasn't impressed? No, no, he met Phil in it, and then he walked away and was like, Oh, shit, my tattoo! <laughs> Do you remember that time I, uh, I was one of our live shows and that guy had a Coco tattoo? And it kind of weirded us all out? He's like, yeah, I posted online. I thought you guys would be jazzed. And I'm like looking at a tattoo of me on a guy's arm. Oh, I remember I remember like a Yacht Rock boat tattoo on a dude. But yeah. There were a couple of them. Yeah. I remember that. The dude had full-on cocoa, and his friend had cocoa with a, just a skull, <laughs> which is like me, skinned. Yeah. I, I, I think people should stick with the tattoo, like one that I have, which is a lower back tattoo of the karate I once studied. Uh-huh, yeah. Way cooler, everyone. <laughs> it's like a jizz target. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good, good way of, uh, yeah, I saw that in, uh, what was that movie? The Wedding Crashers? It's pretty good. Uh, anyway, Thin Lizzy commanded the admiration of uh, Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen, covered by the Foo Fighters, Rollins Band, Megadeth, Mastodon, Maiden, Anthrax, listed as inspiration by additional Hall inductees, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, Smashing Pumpkins, and Metallica. You know, I, I listen to this song over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think I know why people love this band so much. It's kind of like much of the punk rock that I gravitate towards. It's hard, it's fast, it's rad, and it, it like it like makes you feel like you're in a gang. Let me tell you about the, the, the gang of bands you just named that are influenced by this group. Yeah. Man, holy shit. Yeah. And they're popular. Yeah. Boys are back in town, jailbreak, those are huge hits. Yeah. And there's like a hundred other songs. A <laughs> hundred? Yeah. Uh, what Rosalie mm-hmm. that they covered? They covered yeah. fucking yeah, they Bob covered, Seger. Yeah, they covered Bob Seger. How fucking rad is that? They feel like cousins of Bob Seger. It's the yeah. same feeling music. Well, no, yeah, and I think that's yeah, why these, bands. These, yeah, these guys are the Irish Bob Seger. They're the working class. They're the Bruce Springsteen. They're like what, like what Bruce Springsteen is in New Jersey. They are. Oh, it's Dublin. the common man. Yeah. There's still a statue in Dublin that people just hang out around. And that was the what was that fucking movie with the people from Ireland that sold vacuum cleaners and sang? The yeah no no the guy and the girl and they won an Oscar. Oh oh yeah uh, once oh yeah. what a great movie yeah. Uh, they went to meet a guy at that statue and they're like, oh, would you like to be in a band? And the guy's like, is it Lizzie? <laughs> they're like, no, no, but you could help us. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to play Lizzie. <laughs> and it's, it's a fucking real thing. But it's, and I, I brought up the, the, the punk thing, you know, like not part of a gang like where you're going to go kill somebody for fun. But like, wow, you got a group of friends. You meet other Thin Lizzy fans, and chances are you're meeting a pretty sweet dude. And chances are it's a dude. No other band has ever sounded like them. The records still sound fucking fresh. Linnet wrote great songs with beautiful lyrics, effortlessly seductive, and subversively rocking. They've directly inspired thousands of bands and millions of fans. I love being one of them, and I really hope the Hall judges are as well. These guys got to get in. They got to get in. I'm sorry, Motorhead might have to step aside for Thin Lizzy this year. You could get, you could get Judas Priest, Motorhead, and Thin Lizzy all in the same year. All of them would would richly deserve it. That'd be a heck of a concert. That would be a heck of 
a lot of blowback from anyone that isn't white <laughs> or anybody defending anyone that isn't white. Well, you know, last year they let seven artists in. I think they've finally gotten the idea that maybe they should well, do more than five a year while only, all these fucking people are still alive. There's only like 200 and some artists in. Like if you yeah. look at, and it's gonna, we're gonna get to the point where like everyone who's still alive is no longer gonna give a shit. Well, what they're gonna have to realize is this is an opportunity for a band to get back together and play. Like, didn't like the police get back together and play a set, or or whomever? Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, they're gonna get together and play a show. Like, I can't I can't think of any other bands that are getting back together with a with a lead singer that they haven't played with for a while that are nominated this year. I can't well, think of a maybe, single one. Maybe by the end of the podcast, you'll think. Yeah, of one. I'll probably figure it out. All right, well, let's do the last lightning round since there's no, nothing else left. Todd Rundgren. The song is called All the Children Sing off Hermit of uh, Mink Hollow, which is honestly, I just discovered it a couple years ago after uh, uh, a podcast fan wrote in a, well, a Todd Rundgren song off that album to Yatsky, and it was a Yacht Rock song, but I got to listening to the, oh, Why Can't We Be Friends, I think? Uh... I started listening to this album. I got the album. It's phenomenal. One of my favorite yeah, albums. That was like, that, I think that might have been like the last like great Todd Rundgren album. Yeah, it is wonderful. I have a theory about why Todd Rundgren's not in the Hall of Fame. Oh? I think his name might be holding him back. Tad? Not this time, Todd. Sorry, Ted. Go play with your cousin, Todd. Go play with your cousin, Tad, Tad. No room for Todd. In a lighter class, I think Todd Rundgren would be in. His influence is huge, I think. I think. Yeah, and... His creativity is boundless. When you put a single person in like this, you recognize all their body of work. And also, that would include his producing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he produced the shit out of Hollow Notes. Yeah, he produced uh, XTC's Skylarking album, among many, many, many others. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm still tickling. It's a good Buick. I'm still tickling around Todd Runger music, but so like, he has one album. Let's tickle Todd. That I <laughs> that I think is perfect, and I know he has more because people like other ones more than this one. Yeah, something anything is usually like the like the big double album statement that so, I can do anything. It's so hard to produce an album that I like to listen to from beginning to end. And when I find one of those, I know it's a special artist. But I don't think this is Todd's year, but I think he'll find um, his way in. Todd's tickling deserves. Toby. <laughs> Todd, stop tickling your cousin. Ma'am. Also, you can go back and listen to Hunter's segment in Beyond Yacht Rock episode 95, making the case for Tad Rundgren. <laughs> we, a year ago, we've done five episodes since a year ago. This is, this is. We, we did a lot of mini-sodes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And then stopped. Hey, we had, some, we had some big things going on. We sure yeah. did. We sure did. Some of us made a movie about Dolomite, for Christ's sakes. Uh, Soundgarden nominated this year. This is Spoonman. It's our first time nominated. Spoonman. I like that they have a song about a guy who plays spoons. It's kind of good. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a guy that was helping his friend out with dysentery. That's when you gotta dig the poop out. I wonder if it's a heroin song. I think that's much more likely. Yeah. Speaking of heroin, you wanna you wanna shoot up? Yep. Let's cook. Okay, here we go. Now. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't feel any different. Me neither. I think, oh, you have to put the drugs in the needle before you put it in your veins. Oh, we just injected air. <laughs> uh, Chris Enjoy Cornell. Enjoy your embolisms, guys. Chris Cornell, he was a fan of our web show. Yeah? Yeah, I found that out on somebody's real sad Instagram post not long after he died. Yeah, some famous person, he was he emailed a yeah, he, quotes back Yeah, and he's like, my friend, my friend Chris was a big fan. Yeah. I wrote that guy back. Did I tell the story on the podcast of when I had dinner across from Chris Cornell? I don't think so. And I just couldn't stop staring at him because he's so beautiful. Yeah. He really is. It's like a whole group of people, and I had no business being there. I was like the kid that was like, shut up and eat at the end of the table. And Chris sat down across from me, and we were on a, a scout, and he was friends with the director. And uh, I was just like, oh, my God, he is gorgeous. Should have told him you were Coco. It would have blown his mind. I, or pre-Coco? No, that was post-Coco. Yeah. Wow, I didn't no think about that. But yeah, because that would have been like 2007. Yeah. That was, uh, I was scouting that Marvin Gaye movie that never came to be. Um, I think all the grunge majors should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, I agree. And Nirvana's in, Pearl Jam's in, Soundgarden makes three. I, there's no other real grunge what majors. Do you, what do you think about Alice in Chains? A lot oh of yeah, Alice in Chains too. That. Yeah, I, I, mm, well, I, they're they're the they're the most on the bubble of the big four of grunge. I think they're but, the Pete uh, Buttigieg of grunge. As far as polling no, they're goes, much better. But as far as polling goes, he's a he's a bubble A list. Are you saying polling? What? What did you say? As He's far on as the bubble. Oh, as far as polling. Polling. Yeah. Sorry. You say the A tier. I is thought you were making fun of his last name, saying it was Polish. Warren, Biden, Sanders, yeah. and then uh, yeah, pizza a, the bubble. Takes a the, dip. Yeah. The difference is that Allison Change deserves to be there. Oh. oh. I, I I think Soundgarden gets in before Allison Chains. I think Allison Chains is the least uh, versatile. Yes, of the, of yeah. the, I would agree. Uh, but also, and I I liked the more like second tier, maybe even third tier grunt like Mud Honey. I fucking love. Oh, yeah, Mud Honey is great. Good Mud Honey is amazing, and yes. I like them way better than Soundgarden. I actually Mud like Honey's them one than of those Pearl bands Jam. like the Ramones or Motorhead where. Pretty much every song sounds the same, and they're all awesome. Yeah, you know they—that's not quite true. They had some like real jingly jangly ones. Like I remember, "Good Enough" from "Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge" oh, okay. is such yeah, yeah. A, like a poppy, happy song. Um, and then they have "Touch Me, I'm Sick," which it's like love that one. Yeah, but uh, I fucking love my honey. Soundgarden. I don't know if it's Soundgarden's year. I don't know if I would put them on my back. Maybe I I'm would. I'm surprised they didn't get nominated the year that Chris Cornell died. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I wrote down in, in my notes. It was like, when did he die? And then it was, I looked it up. It was 2017. So I'm surprised he wasn't in last year. But was there another band that was in last year that had that 90s spot? Um, we'll never know. Yeah. I don't remember. But uh, Soundgarden has Soundgarden has the uh, the masterpiece uh, album in Super Unknown. I yes. think Bad, Bad Motorfinger is usually pretty pretty well regarded. Also, so they got was that. Big Dumb Sex the first one? Was that no? That was on Louder Than Love. Louder Than Love. That was the one before Bad Motorfinger. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But I, the album's called Louder Than Love. Yeah, but I love the song Big Dumb Sex. Yeah, it was it was a fun song when I was when I was younger because it has swears in it. Fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuck you. Yeah, you know what? She's getting in. 
Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. Hands down. This yeah. is the first time oh, that Whitney Houston has been nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that is a fucking joke. Yeah. But, what the fuck is wrong with these assholes? Well, she doesn't rack. She's, uh, uh, she, uh, wait, this is pop. This isn't rap. All I have to do is I feel bad for Shaka Khan. Because they're only going to give a slot to one black woman. And, and as good as Shaka Khan is, this is Whitney Houston. Yeah. They should give slots to two. They should let two black women in at one time. Absolutely. We'll be lucky to see two women in this time. I, I, I think Pat Benatar's got Pat Benatar is like number two in, in fan voting. She was actually leading for a while until fucking Dave Matthews took oh, over. Come on back. But I think Pat, Pat Benatar's got a pretty good shot. I but if Whitney Houston does not get in, what the fuck are you assholes doing? Like this this is one of the greatest pure vocalists of our lifetimes. Yeah. She's never even been nominated. I don't understand this shit. Well, this this is what's so remarkable, and we'll get to this segment at the end, of people that haven't been nominated that are just so mind-numbingly like, what the fuck? How did you miss this? They have lots of time once they once the bands from the late 90s begin to come become eligible. Yeah, yeah that's, the ranks are going to thin out pretty quickly there. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if they... If they start doing like different categories in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and induct somebody from each one of those categories, but then you're just—I mean, they kind of do that unofficially right yeah. now. Like, yeah, but there's a also... hip hop nominee every year. They got to make sure like at least there's at least one person in the woman slot. There's uh, like a couple alt rock bands. There's a couple classic rock bands. There's you know they're running out of classic yeah. rock bands though. And then point, they'll have finally. a special uh, award for somebody that they know nobody should vote for but should be in, like Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Right, or like uh, you know how Sheet got nominated all those years, and then they finally just like create. They they turned the Sideman Award into like the award for musical excellence, and they yeah. gave it to Nile Rodgers because all these fucking assholes were too stupid to vote him in. Mm-hmm. Speaking of running out of classic rock bands. Rock and roll. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Dozens of people spontaneously combust each year. It's just not really widely reported. Right. Yeah. The Doobie Brothers. Whoa! Whoa! The fucking Doobie Brothers, man! The whole reason why we're wasting hours of your time today because we wanted to make sure we did a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame episode when the Doobie Brothers are nominated. You guys thought we were going to forget, didn't you? Uh, We (laughs) tricked you pretty good. Is there a hot hit? Listen to the music. Around 1970 in San Jose, California, a musician named Keith Dino Rosen told his neighbors or roommates the story changes from person to person who were having a hard time coming up with the name of their band. Uh, Dino told them... You should call yourselves the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Patrick Simmons and Tom Johnston thought the name was dumb. I'm Dino's friend Lou. <laughs> but it's fucking cool, man. It would do for a couple of their upcoming gigs until they came up with something better. You should play this other song about a China groove, man. Fifty years later, the Doobie Brothers have not found a less dumb name, but they've sold 40 million records with the one they have, so... Not bad. Not bad. 
Uh, See, it sounds like a doo-wop thing, but it also means weed. Weed, and they're certainly hippy-dippy in their early days. Uh, they had a ton of early hits. Um, this one, Jesus is Just Alright, Long Train Running, Blackwater, and China Grove. When China I, Grove. When I was oh, at, that one about rocking down the highway? Oh, yeah. When I, I always forget about that one. Yeah. They're like, they're like 38 special. Like, you think you can name all their their hits and then another they're one. Like, oh, oh, shit, yeah. that was them, too. Um, Hold on I, loosely? Yeah, they did that one. When I was a teen DJ at an oldie station, I always loved playing these old Doobie Brothers songs. They're great. And China Grove, that is a classic riff that I would put up there with, like, Smoke on the Water and a whole lot of love like that. We fucking nailed that. Yeah, it's pretty fucking sweet. <laughs> Is Dewey Brothers in yeah. here? That oh, was that was Volcarmonies. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Volcarmonies. <laughs> yeah, That's a good, it. it gets good port man, Dave. Um I like how you verbified the port man there, JD. Steve, I think you're just dropping words now. You sound like you had a stroke. <laughs> Little did this hippie... Did anybody smell toast? I did after I pooped. Little did this hippie country rock band that the hell, Hell's Angels love this band. Little did they know they would go on to plant the flag in the greatest, smoothest, cleanest musical genre ever known to man, Yacht Rock. And yeah, when I was younger, I, I was aware of uh, the Michael McDonald Doobie Brothers. I preferred old school Doobie Brothers... I, yeah, that's that's what you do when you're younger. Yeah, yeah. Before you understand everything that the the man brought to the band, uh, I, clearly today I, I feel more strongly about the second half of their heyday. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, think about that. They started. You really liked them. Then in the second half of their heyday, they got even better. Uh huh. That tells me their trajectory is on the upswing. <laughs> so. I'm looking forward to what they show us next. They put out their last album in 2014. Uh, so they're due. Yep. So the Doobies went through many changes in the mid-70s. In 74, after learning Steely Dan was retiring from the road, Jeff Skunk Baxter left the Dan and joined the Doobies. Uh, Skunk loves to ramble, guys. He's got to yep. get on tour. Around that time, Doobie founder and lead singer Tom Johnston had to stop touring due to bad health. That also kept him off the road in 75, and then when 76 rolled around and the Dubes were under an obligation to record another album, Tom had to have surgery for a bleeding ulcer, so he wasn't available. So Skunk suggested the Dubes try Steely Dan's keyboardist and background vocalist, Michael McDonald. And what do you know? It was a good fit. It sure was. I like the way you leaned into bleeding ulcer. <laughs> That's a tough, cool thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got an ulcer. Yeah? Fuck you. I got a bleeding ulcer. <laughs> uh, Michael McDonald brought his love of Motown soul and R&B to the group with a unique, soulful voice that absolutely transformed the band. The first album he was on, Taken to the Streets, was not as successful as other albums uh, by the Dubes had been. Uh, that showcased a difficult transition uh, they were making from one kind of band to another. When the next album rolled around, Tom Johnston tried to be involved again, and, and uh, he wrote five songs that the band recorded, but then decided to leave the band, took his songs with him. So you can hear that lack of a, of a hit from sort of scrambling to fill those gaps on the Living on the Fault Line album. 
Michael McDonald probably didn't have enough political capital at that point to take the reins of the band, and the other leader took off, took his beer with him. So, because on the next album, Michael McDonald would really take it to the streets. Speaking of taking it to the streets, Michael McDonald was born in Ferguson, Missouri. And since the protests of Michael Brown's shooting in Ferguson, local Ferguson activists keep turning up dead. Coincidence? Probably because everything is great and works out for the best. That's a creepy thing. It sure is. It's probably fine. (laughs) What's this one? Oh, this is catchy. What's this? What? Do you, uh, uh, you want to start this, or should I read what I, what I wrote? You go ahead, because I have a revelation yeah. to share. Do you, you want to get into what we talked about earlier? No, you should read this first. All right. All right. Here's what I want to say about this song. Recorded in 1978, was released as a single. Huge hit. Album came out in January of 1979. The song was already climbing the charts. In the spring of 1979, it hit number one. When the 80s Gram- 1980 Grammys came around, the Doobies won Best Record and Best Album. Now, I think they used to call the best song Best Record, or maybe it's pronounced Record, and it's short for recording. No, 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 it's different. Song of the Year goes to the songwriters. Record of the Year goes to the recording artists. Oh, all right. They get both. Well, now that we cleared that up, my point is... This started a major shift in music. One could even argue that this signaled the beginning of the end of disco. And my point on that is in 1979, all but one song that won Grammys for popular music were disco songs. In 1980, almost all the songs were not disco. 79 being right after Saturday Night Fever came out. And now there was this shift starting. And right after this song won the best record, is that what we agreed on? Yeah, the best short, record. Short for recording. People started trying to copy the sound. It's what we call the Doobie Bounds. Singer started to imitate Michael McDonald's. It's called Michael McDonald's. If you listen to our podcast, you know all about it. This is the pinnacle of yacht rock and the high watermark that other yacht is compared to. Based on that alone, I feel the Doobie Brothers need to get in. Here's what I'm thinking. I was, as I was writing this, as I was writing through this and contemplating their careers, I've contemplated the careers of everybody who's been nominated this year. I'm not so sure that Doobie Brothers need to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What? Yeah, this was this was wild. We were texting about this earlier, and I couldn't this, believe. This is a bombshell, JD. I couldn't believe between JD and me, I was arguing for the Doobie Brothers, and JD was suggesting against. I was arguing against. I even went on another podcast to argue in favor. <laughs> I I absolutely see your point. Be- Here's the thing. Doobie Brothers are huge in our lives. Huge in our lives and in the lives of everybody who listens to this podcast. I, I owe a good chunk of my dating life to, to the music of Michael McDonald. Me as well. Directly. Yeah. I'm the only one of you fuckers that didn't hook up with a fan. I mean, not that Michelle isn't appreciative of everything we've done. Sure. It's just I knew her before know. Yacht Rock was a word. You met her too early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A couple yeah. months later. You, yeah. met, you yeah. met your soulmate too early, yeah. Dave. She was seven. 
Um, <laughs> and I was only 29. So it means a lot to us, but if you go up to the man on the street and you go, hey, Doobie Brothers, what a fool believes, they're like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The band's called the Doobie Brothers. You're like, hey, well, how about this song? China Groove. Oh, yeah, that's uh, from that, that commercial. Freedom Rock. Freedom Turn Rock. it up. Yeah. So the Doobie Brothers are not icons, dare I say. Let me... Let I have me, an argument also. Yeah. I'm going back to this uh, 40 years of uh, Shaka Khan, 50 years of the Doobies, bands that are still drawing a crowd after 50 years. There's very few. Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. The Who. Like, yeah. even, like I saw the Buzzcocks on their 40th tour. Terrible. They were just, well, their drummer was being a real bitch. Yeah. But there aren't a lot of ACDC, I think it's probably hitting 50 years. But their singer, if he sings anymore, he's gonna die. <laughs> it's like, it's like speed, but with yeah, singing. yeah. It's like it, it, it's like a, a movie where you have to be quiet. Mm. Oh yeah. Or your fucking head will explode. And there's so many songs that we know. And granted, some of those songs you're like, oh yeah, where would you be now? But they're all good songs. Sounds like describe. A, the sound of the Doobie Brothers that encapsulates all 50 years of their existence. Well, normally it's me turning the channel. Yeah. Because I'm not the biggest Doobie fan in the world. Mm-hmm. But I recognize their output and their consistency up to a point. But honestly, they were kind of fading. And then Michael McDonald joined the band. They weren't fading at all. Really? No. The album before Take It to the Streets was a, sold more than, and, and charted higher than Take It to the Streets. So you're saying Michael McDonald ruined the Doobies? Yeah, until... No, you're saying Jeff Skunk Baxter ruined the Doobies trying to bring all this Steely Dan shit in. Um, yeah, other than what a fool believes, early Doobies were more successful than later Doobies. Other than that, uh, uh, um, this album, Minute by Minute. So, because yeah, there was only one more album after this. Like yeah. they kind of all hated each other. And okay, but would you would you agree with me that this song coming on the scene in 1979 changed the course of popular music? Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, I think so. This is their so, masterpiece. So, like like the Sex Pistols having one album, and I'm I'm saying just minute by minute. Mm. Sex Pistols, Anarchy in the UK, was such an incredible album that it changed the face of British punk. Maybe you disagree they deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but that was such a moment that was such an influence, and for me it's mostly about influence. This song, this album influenced so much music that came beyond it. This music influenced a genre that we made up and then realized, holy shit, this is a real thing. Yeah, I wonder if once, I wonder if I'm suffering from a bit of kind of uh, what, what's that syndrome where you hate yourself? Like I, I don't hate myself. I just call that life. Self-loathing. I got some I like just, yacht I just rock call that self, being alive. self-loathing, where I feel like the, the maybe you have yacht rock exhaustion. Maybe I know a lot of us go through that. The from music time isn't to worthy yes, of the Hall do. of Fame. It's worthy of people who appreciate it, but like the world as a whole, people don't get it yet. And maybe if it becomes more of a worldwide phenomenon and people understand it and know what it is, then well, let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. This is what I suffer from. 
uh, and that's like a punk rock syndrome. Like once a band I like it's too big, it doesn't belong to me anymore. And if somebody's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, that. Now, is there a, any of that? No, I want them to get in the Hall of Fame. I feel like they're not worthy. I feel like... All right, let me, let me jump in with I my want argument. Them, I want them to be bi- bigger than they are now. I just want to keep talking so Steve can't. <laughs> No, right. I'm, I'm joking. Go ahead, Steve. J.D., you're into baseball. No, not anymore, but okay, I understand baseball, yes. Okay. Uh, I can tell you about the Oakland A's, 1986-1988. You want to talk yeah, about that? Come on, don't ruin his game. I want to play this game. All right. Tell me, do you remember the career of John Smoltz, baseball Hall of Famer John Smoltz? Yes. John Smoltz was a very good starting pitcher, won like 200 games. Uh-huh. John Smoltz also injured his arm, mm-hmm. and he came back as a relief pitcher mm-hmm. because that was the only way he could keep pitching, like just doing one inning at a time instead of like six or seven. Otherwise, he's going to blow out his arm again. So for a few years, he became a very good relief pitcher, and he got a bunch of saves. He was like good enough to close out the games in the ninth inning. Now, if you take the two parts of John Smoltz's career by themselves, they're good but they're not Hall of Fame worthy by themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you put the body of work together, you get an excellent starter, an excellent reliever, and you put that together like nobody else did those two distinct phases of a career, a pitching career, like John Smoltz did and excelled at both of them. So that's my argument for who the Doobie Brothers are as a, as a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. They have two very distinct phases to their career. I don't know that either of those phases by itself would qualify them for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But if you take if you take the early, you know, the the laid back biker boogie rock of the early singles that everybody remembers on classic rock radio. And then you take the jazzy, steely Dan influenced soft rock of the Michael McDonald years, that was hugely influential. Just, it just happened to be hugely influential on music that doesn't get a lot of critical respect. Mm-hmm. But it was hugely influential. I would argue much more influential than the first phase of the band. If you, you take that body of work and put it together, I think that's a that's a good Hall of Fame case. You take all their pillars and stack them on top of each other. You're gonna have a really fucking tall pillar. That's You're a lot have a tower. Yeah, that's a lot taller than say, Soundgarden's single pillar. Yeah, I think it's. I think I'm projecting myself onto them, and I feel unworthy. I feel, you know, I feel uh, my my yacht rock love. I'm proje- that's what I'm projecting onto them, and I just feel like they're not worthy. But I understand your argument, and I think maybe I would not be uncomfortable if they made it into the Hall of Fame. I'd be very happy with it. Honestly, I don't know if any other Yacht Rock acts are going to get in. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. look at, like, Kenny Loggins is pretty borderline. God bless him. Yeah. Um, Toto, I'm just not sure about. I, w- I could see, you know, if they still did the Sideman thing. I mean, maybe. You'd the, put Lukather and Percaro in in a heartbeat. Maybe Maybe, Paige maybe the well. Eagles. <laughs> I love Yacht Rock. Um, but. You know, uh, maybe the only other guy I could see getting in the conversation is maybe Boz Skaggs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a stretch. And that's pretty borderline as well. Yeah, Christopher Cross isn't getting in. No. All right, well, uh, that's our argument for the dubs. Hey, when when do we get to the plug hole? Uh, No plug hole. But I got something I got to plug. Oh, you can... 
you can pl- you can go to the bathroom after the, the podcasting. All right, uh, what are we voting for? What would make our ballots? Uh, I would so vote which five. We get which five. five. Okay. Uh, I would vote for Whitney Houston, Todd Rundgren, T Rex, the Doobies. <laughs> this is such bullshit. <laughs> I don't believe any of this anymore. Not much of it. <laughs> and to shield the 90s slot from Dave Matthews' band, I'd vote for Soundgarden. Uh, I would vote for the Doobies, Judas Priest, Motorhead, T-Rex, and Whitney Houston. Uh, with my heart, T-Rex, Thin Lizzy, Doobies, Whitney, Motorhead. If I vote with my head, it'd probably be a little different. If I vote what I think's going to get in, this is what I would like to see get in. And if you're going to be in San Francisco... On January 18th, come to Cafe du Nord, where you can see me and my friends playing You Can't Call Me Al. Jonah Ray and the rest of us are doing punk rock covers of Weird Al Yankovic songs. And I don't have any friends in San Francisco anymore. So hit me up at the... Um, Cafe the, du Nord. No, what's the Yacht Rock uh, email? Yacht Rock. Beyond Yacht Rock at gmail.com? Yeah, if, if, if I can do it, I'll put you on the guest list. Uh, we got Mike Park from Asian Man Records and the Bruce Lee Band. He's going to do a thing. The Shut Ups, Cody Votolato from the Blood Brothers. Got a dude from Motion City Soundtrack. It's going to be a hell of a fun night. And uh, if you show up, I'll buy you a beer. Uh, also, everybody watch Cold Justice on Oxygen. I'm the assistant editor on it. Ah. <laughs> I just want. I just want to say. I just want to say I that just wanna... the three of us were unanimous on T Rex and Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. So yeah. good job, fellas. All right. Um, okay. So who who uh, who are you looking forward to be nominated uh, next time, guys? You know, I was thinking long and hard about this, and it's it's difficult because we always say, "Who do you want to see nominated?" And inevitably, people list a hundred different bands because there's that many or artists. The one that I would love to see is Fugazi because they are without a doubt the most important post-hardcore band and what Ian MacKay has done for music is immeasurable. And I would also like the idea of the guys from Fugazi not giving a shit and ignoring all of it. But that's for my own personal reasons. If I were to name somebody that should have been nominated and hasn't, Willie Nelson. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned him last year. Did you? Yeah, I don't remember that. It's so okay, weird. Okay, then uh, Dolly Parton. She I, not you know, I've I've heard Dolly Parton mentioned recently. Like, what a good idea. Yeah, because she had that pop crossover moment in the early '80s where she was not just a country star, but a fucking legitimate fucking, American music fucking star. Fucking nine to five. She's a goddamn musical genius and an American yeah. treasure. You know who? You know who sang her, her song that's fame. nominated is Whitney Houston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dolly I Parton would always that love goddamn you. Song. It's amazing the songs that uh, my old roommates went and saw uh, Willie Nelson, and he kept like doing various songs that he had written, and they were like blown away. Like, holy shit, he wrote that one! Like, just like little jingles, like commercials and shit like that. Like, one of them might have been the theme song to Scrubs. Hmm. That can't be right. I don't know. Maybe it is. Someone look it up and let me know. Well, I I see, and this is not a preference or anything, but I just want to warn everybody that I see Oasis, Weezer, and Green Day all coming down the pike eventually. Well, Green, Green Day's, Day's already, already in. in, yeah. Oh, strike that. That makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they uh, got in in Oasis, Oasis should be in, I think. Well, I, they I, certainly I, think so. 
I the yeah the Britpop bands are going to start coming up. I think Oasis, Smiths, Blur, Smiths, uh, Pulp. They're Smiths. not Britpop. The Smith. Sorry, are, I stopped listening. Are more song puddings than uh, Britpop. I stop. Oh God, I stopped listening <laughs> to Brit. Uh, I think Suede should get in too, but oh, that's you, me. You know a band that should get in? Guided by Voices. Absolutely. Well, not before Pavement. Yeah, Pavement. Yeah. God, that'd be great to have you know, all these indie bands start to come in. Because the Pixies aren't in. No, yeah. not yet, yeah, man. No. They very well should Have be. they been nominated? Nope. nope. Not no, they were, they were one of my, uh, maybe last year or the year before. I was. Okay, they got you get a lot, a lot of those bands, like Husker Du, The Replacements, Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., get a lot of those like, Big Star. Dinosaur Seniors. Oh, Big that's Star's what the not in, are. are they? Shit. Yeah, that's. Their first cool. album might as well be a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. Uh, so I have I have my pick also. Uh, all, all of my, every time I do this uh, segment, I do a rant about a genre. I've done alternative rock, heavy metal, hip hop, female artists who the hall essentially treats as a genre. But this year is the year everything changes because Jan Wenner is finally stepping down as the chairman of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jan so, Hammer? Yeah, the Miami Vice guy. I had no idea. No wonder these picks are so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's high. Uh, so what I hope is the future nominee list can break free of his notoriously restrictive tastes instead of him trying to get the fucking Jay Giles band back on the ballot every oh, goddamn year. God. So next year, it is time. Time to right the historical injustice wrought by Jan Wenner's musical bigotry and to correct the biggest snub of his heyday. It is time to put the goddamn monkeys in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Do it now while Mike and Mickey are still alive to savor it and rub Jan Wenner's nose in it. Yeah. What, what's the story? Like, he was blocking it for some, like, personal reason? They just, like, people who grew up with the monkeys, like, oh, it's, it's a boy the, band. It's a guy, it's a boy band. It's a TV. It's made it for the TV. It's not like the real rock and roll. Like, it's not the dangerous stuff to change the world like I like. You know, the guy that produced or put together the monkeys was so frustrated because they did their own thing, and he wanted to be able to control it and tell them what to do. Yeah, they he wanted started, to be a real band because they yeah. all played their own instruments. He started a new band called the Archies and made them out of cartoon characters so he could do what he want. And God bless him because Sugar Sugar was the top song of 1969. That is correct. Think about that. All, all Think the... about 1969 and all the music that came out. And the number one song <laughs> was written by Canadian answer to Neil Diamond. What was uh, Baron Von uh, Andy Kim? <laughs> Wrote and Sugar it, Sugar and it ripping was, off Neil Diamond. And, and it, it was, was sung the number by, one song. And it was sung by Ron Dante, who would mm -hmm. go on to become Barry Manilow's producer. Yeah. Good times. Good yeah. times, great oldies. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We're happy to have gotten back on the podcast train uh, this time. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, um, Jeff Selby for the bumpers. And yeah, those thank were you, very Jeff nice. Selby. That's all we have to thank, and whoever helps us get this Rob, on the net. Rob Crow wrote the uh, the opening theme, as usual. Oh, and of course, uh, oh yeah, Rob Crow, and of course, David Lyons, engineering tonight. If it comes out well. If it does not come out well, it's Hunter's fault, because he wasn't here to do what he normally does. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.